7 o'clock. I call the August 2nd meeting of the Joint Budget Subcommittee to order. Please pause for a moment of silence. Please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic which will which stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, a note to residents. All citizens are welcome to attend public board and committee meetings in person. Meetings are also live streamed and archived by Franklin TV on the Franklin Town Hall TV YouTube channel. Meetings are also shown live and on repeat on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29. In an effort to maximize citizen engagement opportunities, citizens will be able to continue to participate remotely via phone or Zoom. Uh, tonight, the call-in number is 929-205-6099, and the Zoom ID is 836 4368-1839, and then you need to hit the pound sign. Once again, the Zoom ID, 836-4368-1839-POUND. And just to get us going this evening, I think uh, I'd just like the panel to, or our Joint Budget Subcommittee to introduce themselves and the committee that they uh, have served for. Why don't we start with this in, Nicole? Sure. I'm um, Nicole Corbinero, um, here representing the Finance Committee. I'm Melanie Hamlin. Hello, everyone. Uh, Tom House. Uh, George Conley, Finance Committee. Uh, Dave McNeil, School Member and Chair of the School Committee Budget Subcommittee. Dave? Dave Callahan, School Committee. Cody Ferriello, right the Town Council. Nate Spencer, School Committee. Good evening, Brian Chandler, Town Council. Uh, Tom Chairman of the Joint Budget Subcommittee and Chairman of the Town Council. Okay, before we get started, uh, just thought it was important for a lot of people to understand the Joint Budget Subcommittee, what it was put together for, why, uh, and who serves them. And basically, it's made up of subcommittees of three town committees, Franklin Town Council, School Committee, and the Finance Committee. There are four members from the Town Council, there are three members from the School Committee, and there are uh, four members from the, oh, I'm sorry, three members from the Finance Committee. And I'm sure one or two of you might have a question, why is there four town council and three school committee? It's because you can't have a quorum of a committee on a subcommittee. So there are seven members of the school committee, so if you had four, then it would be a school committee uh, meeting, and you would break the open meeting laws. Same thing with the council, 
except that we're nine members, so there are four counselors. Uh, so that's how this committee uh, was put together. And the charge to the uh, Joint Budget Subcommittee, which uh, we did a couple of years ago, was to promote collaboration among the three most relevant finance-related committees who are involved in the town's annual operating budget, town council, school committee, finance committee. And also to promote broader communication and public engagement on the town's annual operating budget keeping their respective board or committee members informed of the subcommittee's work and providing updates. Meeting as often as necessary to achieve subcommittee goals. Maintaining institutional knowledge of short and long range budget forecasts. Assisting the town administrator and the superintendent of schools to develop strategies for meeting projected budget shortfalls. In short, that's what this committee was put together for. Uh, and it's been, uh, we, I think we only had a couple of meetings last year. Uh, my plan is to have substantially more of these as we move forward and as we look into the future. Before I turn it over to Jamie and uh, go on to item two, I want to quickly outline the discussion framework for tonight. The item on the agenda is the five-year fiscal forecast. The projections, assumptions, concerns, comments, budget mechanics, and so on. No decisions are going to be made tonight. There's no vote. But hopefully a snapshot into the future for a long range financial planning. I want to make sure we have the time to close the loop on this topic. Like everyone up on this roster, I've been asked by many in the community about the process for an override. The need for an override. When for an override. And so forth. I asked the town administrator to attach the slides he presented at the Finance Committee in May tonight to help continue to get that information to the community. The mechanics of an override and how it relates to the forecast could be discussed. But we should not have a deeper discussion about whether or not to have an override, how much or when, because we don't have enough information yet. As I've said on many occasions, this is the starting point, uh, where we needed to get to to start this process. I've also asked 
Jamie, to have his slide available at the August 16th meeting of the town council, where there will be an agenda item that focuses exclusively on the process of an override, as well as the legal, political, and ethical issues that surround overrides and ballot questions. I'm committed to helping to educate the community on this journey, but I do believe we need to take things step by step. And seeing the number of people here this evening and the number of people on Zoom, this is a great first step. It's been heartwarming for me to see that the One Franklin group has started to form again. It's been a few years, pre-COVID, since we've last seen the level of engagement that that group already has going. As I think Jamie noted, there's been a lack of grassroots organizing on an override for many of our past overrides. Not that exclusions, but past overrides. We did have some very good grassroots for uh, the debt exclusion on high school and uh, some of the other debt exclusions. As I think Jamie noted, uh, I'm sorry, I'm thrilled to see a dedicated group of folks that are ready to dig into the details of overrides and ballot questions. They are doing thankless work, but we thank them for sacrificing their own time, your own time, to help organize this group. But most in the community still have a lot to learn about the town's financial, overall financial situation. We will all learn more tonight, as well as at the council meeting in August, and then again, I am sure, in the fall. Personally, I believe an override is needed just to continue the current level of services being provided to the community. The community has discussed this for years, but I also think the most important piece of this is to put a question before the voters that they will support. A question that shows the community respect and brings the community along together. Because we are, and I'll use your, your phrase, we are one Franklin. Uh, so often you hear the municipal part of government, you'll not, you won't hear me say sides because I hate that word. So there's a municipal part of the government and there's a school part of the government. And we need to work together. And that's my hope for this Joint Budget Subcommittee over the next whatever to put together and work together to come up with a fiscal forecast looking out the next five years. We can't just look for tomorrow or next year. We have to look out beyond that. 
We have to look out five years at a minimum. And then I think it's important for everybody, for all of our department heads, the municipal park, school park, to let us know what they need over the next five years. Not saying they've got to get everything they need, but what truly would you need if there wasn't a budget shortfall? We need to talk about those numbers. And we need to come to some sort of a decision down the road. And again, this is going to take some time to put all of this information together. Because when you put all those numbers together into uh, the coin, uh, Mr. Frangillo's phrase uh, that he's used many times, the pot's only so big. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought one. <laughs> uh, and it's important as we come to whatever that large number is going to be, we have to then look at all parts of it and get it down to a number that we can present to the community that they will support. Because if we, if my, my fear is that we rush to something, put a number out there, and then that number is either too low or too high a year from now. And you can't do that. You have to have the information. We have to develop the information. <coughs> what we're going to hear tonight from the town administrator is a fiscal forecast looking out the next five years on the municipal part of the government. We also need the school part of the government to be looking at the same thing out to the next five years. And bringing that to this committee, because I think this is where it needs to get vetted first. Because when you come out of this committee with the support, you have the support of the finance committee, of the council, and of the school committee. So you're coming out with the letters on your shirt. You're coming out one franklin. And I truly believe that's why we're all here. So with that, I've spoken longer than I wanted to, but Jamie, go ahead. Sure, thank you, Mr. Chairman. So really quickly through the committee, just I thought it would be advantageous to do a few updates from the budget presentations in May. Um, just to catch all of the audience behind us and on Zoom up. Um, number one, um, as most people know, the council did shift uh, about three quarters of a million dollars in June. Um, after a couple of votes um, to shift uh, about 300, uh, three quarters of a million dollars uh, of municipal and public safety funds uh, to the Franklin Public Schools, which is critical because that got them to their 1.8 million, two and a half percent increase this year, which is really uh, quite uh, effective given, uh, as everybody heard in the spring, uh, the impacts of inflation were pretty substantial in FY24. Um, and so that's really great news. Um, second, as the chair just mentioned, uh, I made a commitment to the town administrator and the town attorney to have a public meeting uh, about the mechanics of an override, about the ethical and legal considerations that will be on August 16th at 7 o'clock. Um, third, that same meeting, I made a commitment, uh, it was 
high level, but in more specifics now, uh, the town, uh, I made a commitment to continue throughout the fiscal year to work with the schools and the community and our departments to do anything we can to try to um, uh, support some of, offset some of maybe the expenses for the school department uh, or find other revenue sources. On August 16th, there'll be a vote um, to, for the opioid settlement funds to pay for the William James Institute contract, which will save the district at least one, you know, one vote, $35,000, um, and that vote will be uh, on August 16th as well. Um, I just also want to mention I made a commitment as well as the superintendent to really work uh, on the reorganization of some of the departments due to succession planning and some of the staff requirements and transitions that have happened. And I'm really, really happy and pleased to say that um, uh, the work with um, the superintendent and assistant superintendent and our staff have gone fantastically well over the summer. Um, we are really hoping, fingers crossed, it's gone so smoothly and so well, we hope that um, after Labor Day and into the fall, we'll be able to talk about some more details. But uh, I'm very uh, confident and optimistic that there'll be some additional savings in there for the school department, but more importantly, um, additional capacity um, for both the town and the school, um, you know, main finance and business offices, uh, which for me is a huge priority. And third, the legislators were here on July 19th, and um, both Rep. Roy and Senator Rausch had some positive news about the out-of-district tuition placement costs, right? Um, the supplemental budget moving through the legislature at about $75 million. Um, there's still a lot to be worked out, um, but um, the key is, is that at that number, we would hope Franklin would see a pretty large amount of that, which will also save you know, the school district an unidentified amount, but originally we were looking at about a $750,000 savings if the legislature did that, right? So when you, when you add all these things up, right, um, you're really looking at a fairly large increase for FY24 and hopefully uh, a fairly sustainable budget um, depending on exactly what the priorities are. But uh, Mr. Chairman and the committee, I just wanted to give those updates. We talked about those in May um, and just wanted to get those out there. Um, relative to the fiscal forecast, I got it up on the screen. Um, I know that people have very little time these days, but if people have questions, this is all written down in the memo. It's only three or four pages. Um, I want to make sure everyone's very clear, this is not the budget for the next five years. Um, this is a forecast, um, and we're just looking out. So I'm just going to go through the, uh, the assumptions in the model. Um, based off uh, the assumptions that are here for revenue first. And folks have seen this who have been paying attention for a little while now. Uh, the revenue sheet, this is our budget. If folks look up at the tax levy, this number here is really 2.5%. Here's FY24 as our baseline, 25, 26, 27, 28. All we did here is keep new growth as an assumption across the board as the same revenue source. So there is no plus or minus in those numbers. The tax levy is 2.5%. This is the infamous Prop 2.5. We can only raise the levy limit 2.5% over the previous year, unless, again, there was a debt exclusion or an override. We'll talk about those in a minute. So those numbers just go right across the board. As I said in the budget meeting, you cannot just stop there to determine your annual tax levy. Debt exclusions, as folks will see and discussed in the budget narrative, you can see, you can see these little hashtags here. Those aren't typos. That means the Keller Sullivan project is a debt exclusion, sunsets in 26, the Horace Mann 27, and so forth. So wherever you see those lash marks, that means voters in Franklin 
passed a debt exclusion, a tax increase, people will not see the tax sunset off the tax rate, but it is baked into the tax rate calculation. So when the council addresses the tax rate in the fall, winter, those numbers are actually incorporated into that. Um, you know, and the main point with that is the potential tax levy, because those tax increases sunset, you end up having lesser of a tax increase and a tax levy from year to year because those things are coming off the books. And, be, and I won't get into it too deep with debt and interest, but the same concept happened with debt and interest, and we'll go to that in a minute. So um, the other assumptions in the revenue model are pretty easily outlined. Um, local receipts is assumed at a 2% growth model. Um, state aid um, as a revenue source right here is assumed across the board as a 1% increase. Um, and that's what we've been getting, and that actually is generous. Um, you know, in, in truth, we've, we've had Jeff Roy, Becca, Karen Spilka, everyone's talked about this for years. I mean, it is what it is. Um, I know the final budget got done, um, and the conference committee budget actually is $2,000 less than the budget that was voted by the council in June. And this is, again, when we talk, not tonight, but about home har hold harmless funding, and a variety of other things about state finance, the truth of the matter is we cannot rely on state aid um, for any additional revenue. Uh, a 1% growth over five years would actually be uh, sustainable um, and would be good. Um, and, then, uh, and then the other assessments and votes down the bottom on the revenue model um, is, are outlined here, and basically these are things that I encourage people to not just look at Chapter 70. When the MMA and other organizations put out positive comments about doubling the per pupil cost or other big, huge numbers that are in the budget, I'm just here to tell everybody it doesn't impact the town at all. It just doesn't. So in the grand scheme of it, because there are deductions that come off those formulas, the large one, of course, is the charter school assessment we've talked about many years. And so if you look at this model here, we are anticipating over the next five years, by FY29, we're gonna have a six and a half million dollar deduction off of our local aid to, to compensate for the charter school uh, reimbursement formula. So um, I'm gonna get into these red numbers later on. Um, that's the revenue model. Um, all the assumptions are there. I would encourage everybody to uh, just remind themselves that these are just simply assumptions and projections year to year. We're obviously gonna have to go through budget debates every year, but. Um, um, that's the revenue model. Um, I'll stop there, Mr. Chairman. If anybody has any quick questions on the revenues, I'm happy to answer them. Sure. Before we go on to the expenditures, we'll take a few yeah. more minutes. Okay. Any questions from the committee on the revenue part of Jamie's forecast? Anyone out in the audience? Council Chambers, I should say. <laughs> How about anyone out there in Zoom land? Oh, I'm sorry. Please. Just come forward, please. Just name and address. You, you of all people. You know so sorry. Of all people. I'm sorry. <laughs> we would be surprised. I, I, I miss being on that side. I'm Susan Dusnap, 10 Garden Street. I would just like to um, ask a quick question, Jamie, and I'm sure you probably know it off the top of your head. With the Chapter 70 school aid, I'm going to say something maybe to, to help some folks who are learning how these numbers work. Those numbers are not calculated by us, they're calculated by the state. Do you know how much above the current calculation 
we receive under that hold harmless. Over the, over the hold harmless. Over the hold harmless. So if, if, if we were to just get what was calculated for us, what would that number be? I don't know. Does anybody know how much we receive over the calculation number? Is it 11 million, 14 million that I heard? The hold harmless number, I think it's like around 14 or 15 million. Yeah. So the whole, if the hold harmless number is a question, it's about 14 or 15 million. Okay, so we're second in the state to the city of Boston. So I, I just wanted to point that out. I think it's a very, very important point for people to understand that even though we're receiving $29 million of Chapter 70 school aid, if we were only receiving what we were calculated to receive under the current calculation used by the State House, it would be much lower. If, if I think I see Sue's question now. So to explain yes. hold harmless, essentially hold harmless is literally what it says. The state chapter 70 formula essentially holds harmless districts with significantly declining enrollment. And so ultimately that formula has a safety net for communities like Boston and like Franklin and many others across the Commonwealth that have a lot of declining enrollment over even a short time or a long period of time. In Boston and Franklin's case, the reason why Hold Harmless is so large is because over the last 13 or 14 years, the declining enrollment has been so steadily consistent because of the growth in the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, in 2008, the district had almost 6,500 students and in September, I believe the, the school business administrator had predicted a budget based on about 4,600 students. So you're looking at about 15 years of decline of about 1,900 students. That's the hold harmless formula, and that's the part of the genius of Chapter 7. Because I think your point was, Sue, if you didn't have that hold harmless feature in state law, that number would probably be sliced in half. Yes. Right. Which that, means that we would be $14 million less on the revenue model, and I don't know if I'd be here. <laughs> I just, like I just thought it was that's important. Makes you sweat a little. Yeah. That's a I just, lot I just of, wanted to point that out, because that's yeah. the one thing that, as I look at numbers, I worry about, right? Mm -hmm. At some point in time, will somebody, if, if the legislature changes whatever, could mm -hmm. we, could they start to reduce that number? They, they could. haven't, but they, let's, they not, haven't. let's not keep that out of the realm of possibility. So, I just wanted to point that out. Thank you, sir. Okay. Another good point. Steve Sherlock, 10 Strive Community Journalist. Um, as points like this may continue to come up, and there'll be good points to note for everybody, can we get a clarification, maybe a further? My numbers, I think this year was 11 million, dropped it down to 10. I agree, there had been a 14 at one point. There's also an 82% piece that we have to get to. Can that particular number just be tabled at this point, but then updated to get the accurate? Because I know Miriam is no, no longer here, but Mr. Peach can give us the numbers, and that way we have the right base as we go forward, sir. Thank you. But again, we were talking in approximates here. Yeah. Really quickly, Mr. Chairman, to Steve's point, 10 million, 12 million, 13 million, 9 million, 18 million, it's a huge liability at the end of the day. It could be eight million, five million. It's a huge liability because, as Sue pointed out, if for some reason there was a budget crisis at the state level and they needed to cut money somewhere, I can assure you the legislators that have growing districts with enrollment 
they all know where the districts are with the declining enrollment. They're never going to take away the whole amount. But even if they sliced 10% or 15%, that's still a significant amount of money that is going to have a huge impact on the bottom line for the town of Franklin, not just the schools, I'm saying for the town of Franklin. So I, I, I think the numbers to Steve's point are going to shift. just want to make sure people understand whatever the number is, hold harmless is a huge liability. Revenues? That's what we want to keep. Are there any other, is there any other question from council chambers on the revenue part of the forecast? Is there any questions out there in Zoom land? I don't see any, any of you. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. Please, just come forward, name and address, please. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jenny Gordon, 37 Townline Road. Thanks for the opportunity. So I just wanted to understand, I, I noticed on the revenue side there's no federal line. I'm new to the process, but I was wondering if you could just give a little bit of background on if we have had federal funding in the past tied to COVID or any other line, and if that's part of our problem, and if we expect any federal funds in the next five years. Phenomenal question. Um, one, federal fund, the town of, the, the municipal part of the town of Franklin does not receive any federal money. Occasionally we get a grant or two, like the new style, but in terms of the budget, there's, F, there's zero dollars of federal money in this. Um, and the same thing would be said for the school part. The one thing I would clause that is, um, the schools get federal money through other sources that are not a part of the actual, this operating budget. In terms of federal stimulus money, um, like ESSER funds, CARES Act, you know, ARPA funds, those types of things, those one-time revenues, those are completely off the books. They are not part of this model at all. Um, the town of Franklin has not used any federal money over the last three years to plug any part of the budget. Nothing. But I don't know for sure. You would ha I would have to ask the superintendent or the school business administrator. I believe federal ESSER money you guys know better than me. I believe federal lesser money has, in fact, been used in the school budget. So to your point, those federal dollars, when they dry up, will end up leaving a larger gap in the school department budget because they've been funding some of their operational costs with federal stimulus money. I hope that was clear. I hope that, did that make sense? Dave, uh, sure. Not to. Yeah, no, uh, please. Just throw any yeah. you know, hard numbers, but but yet, um, and when you know, when Jamie kind of talks about how you know that money's being dried up, especially when it came to the ESSER uh, funding that was COVID money and that legally had to be spent by, it would be in this case, it would be this budget. Um, and there are a number of positions that otherwise kind of would be in the operating budget currently in the Franklin School District that are exclusively being funded through the ESSER funding, which just does not exist for FY25. That, that money is, is gone, the money that's attached to those positions will have to either be found within the operating budget or it just it does not exist for the next budget cycle. And so there, there's a large revenue stream that has been present uh, within, especially the school side, since COVID through a lot of ESSER funding, so CARE for ARPA, 
uh, through federal funding that no longer will be existing. Thank you. Is there anyone else? You didn't see anybody, right? Jamie. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I would just, um, for her question, I would say um, not part of the operating budget, but one thing to take note of um, is CARES Act funding, for example. This town did use a million dollars in CARES Act one-time money for Chromebooks. Right, so that is something that I think is a discussion point in the future. That's not part of this discussion on the operating budget, but there's going to be more requests for Chromebooks, and that you know that's something that I think we're going to all have to listen to and consider how to deal with some of the infrastructure stuff where we did use one-term, one-time money to pay for some of those things during the pandemic. Um, those are costs that are going to be borne somewhere else, either off budget or in budget, um, over the next year. So the operating budget expense, um, this is just, again, uh, a four or five page model. I'm just gonna run through really quickly some of the assumptions. Um, this model assumes a two and a half percent increase. People, folks can see up here. Um, you can see on the municipal part of the budget, you have like a, a, a department like the assessors. We have personnel and salaries, and then we have an expense line item for each department. Um, and essentially, the vast majority of these line items from a personnel standpoint, one for contractual obligations, is assumed at a 2.5% across the board on every municipal part, every department has an assumption in there of a 2.5% personnel COLA increase on every line item. Um, when we go down to uh, account 300, the assumption in here, and I highlighted in green, I'll get to regional dispatch in a minute. As folks can see up here on the school, both um, Tri-County we'll talk about in a moment again, but for town schools right here across the board, that's just 2.5% across the board. So that's compounded, so by FY29, it's about a $2 million increase. So you're looking at about a $1.8 to $2 million increase at a 2.5% rate of growth over the course of the next five years. Um, all municipal expense budgets in here also assume a 2.5% rate of growth. Um, yes, there will be, when we get into those budget years, you know, one expense budget might be 1%. Uh, but I know, I'm sure later on, there'll be questions for like a Brutus and, and Mike about do we expect their cost of their expenses to go up 2.5%. I just want to know as we have before, most of the facilities department expense line item actually is for the school. Well, most of the facilities department in general um, is for, actually pays for um, school-related costs. If you look at account 192, that's the custodians, that's all the parts for the buildings, that's for contractors to fix things, to upgrade things, a whole, that's for electricity, plumbing, gas, all the utilities, stormwater, all of those costs for school facilities are in the municipal part of the budget, okay? So each year we get creative, and sure there'll be questions on it, but um, I'm just assuming a 2.5% rate of growth uh, for even the DPW, where we heard this year both inflation hit the DPW and facilities very, very hard, um, well over a million dollar increase just from inflation in those two departments. But just for the model's sake, to make it easy, I made it about a 2.5% uh, growth. Norfolk County Retirement, down the bottom. Um, we assume in here 
essentially a uh, 5% rate of growth for the Norfolk County retirement system. And we also project health care expenses uh, in the budget uh, at 7%. It's worth noting the numbers up here for health insurance. Oops, sorry, Mel. I got you the pointer. Uh, uh, point you know, right? Idea. <laughs> uh, so, um, is at a 7%. The, this is for municipal health care right here. Um, I believe traditionally, Miriam and I, we always generally have the same rate of growth for health care, the same assumption. I bet you she would say the same thing. Bob would probably say the same thing, 6 7 8%. But at this point, you, you ballpark 7%. Um, and then all of these other uh, retired teacher health insurance, the town's uh, part pays for this. Um, Non-GA school retirees, workers' comp, these are all municipal expenses, but they're actually all school expenses, but they're in the municipal part of the budget. Um, all of those are at a 2.5% rate of growth. So the only two anomalies here um, are Norfolk County and, uh, and healthcare. Um, I did mention a minute ago the regional dispatch. Um, which is in green up here. We've talked about this for years. People will see in the model, why, why 958 to one and a half million? That's a pretty big jump. How does that happen? We had a very, very lucrative five-year grant from the Commonwealth. That party is over in FY25, and it was a party we saved a lot of money, which has been able for us to get through COVID. There's no question about that. Um, the, five, the six towns that make up the Regional Dispatch Center, I'm the chairman of the board. Uh, for the last four years, five years now, um, it, it was a. This th I can't emphasize how much that grant helped out the entire town uh, be able to get through the last few years. But next year we're going to see a full assessment around 1.5 million, and then we bake in a rate of two and a half percent moving forward. And then the last point in the assumption model um, that's really uh, worth noting, um, or second to last point, is the tri-county school. Um, we're anticipating an FY27. At this point, it could be FY28, could be FY29, could be FY30, but we know there'll be a ballot question vote this October on authorization of the school. Once that vote goes through, the town of Franklin is then on the hook to pay the bill. How we pay it, we can be creative. Okay? Our portion. Our portion of the bill, right, not the whole thing. <laughs> uh, but we're the second largest town in the district, so we pay the second highest portion after North Adelaide. So our portion is gonna be the second highest. We anticipate a $2.1 million expense for 30 years. <laughs> so you can see here in the model, people may say, why Tri-County going up so much? I went in, in FY26, we expect their number to be 2.9 million as an assessment, but in FY27, they'll go up by 2.1 million. Again, these are all assumptions. They still have to go out and borrow for it. They still gotta get a 4.25 interest rate. They may not. Um, it could be higher, it could be a little lower, but right now, for model's sake, and then we build in a 2.5% growth over that. That won't happen, um, but we'll get a full borrowing schedule, as you know, Mr. Chairman, and many others. We'll get a full borrowing schedule once that goes through. I just want to make sure everyone's clear. We have to solve our own portion of the Tri-County School. So I've made a mention in the memo that's going to take some wizardry on my part if there's no debt exclusion or some sort of vote to increase taxes to pay for that. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no rainy day fund to pay for this for 30 years. <laughs> I mean, you can pay one year maybe and, and drain the fund, but structurally, 
uh, that's going to be a tough, uh, a tough, a tough issue. As I mentioned in the budget memo, for those that you want to read, if the town doesn't somehow raise the revenue to do this, then you're going to see a 2.1 million dollar deduction in the town of Franklin's budget spread across the board. Um, so, you know, something to think about. Um, and then finally, Jamie, uh, while you're on that, yeah. what's the uh, time frame in which we have to come up with the funding source? Once the vote, once the school is passed, everybody understands that that's a vote of eleven different communities, but it's a total combined vote. It's not just every every time. So it's a combined vote. But what do we have for a time, time frame to come up with a source of funding? We have, from the date of the authorization of the vote. I know an, the answer. I know. <laughs> I, it's a great question. And through the date of when the bill comes in. Um, and and I, I don't want to give a date. Where, you know, I'm probably potentially a little early on my model up here. Um, but as you know, as well as anyone who's done school buildings, Mr. Chairman, they still have to make it through the MSBA process, um, and um, and then once we get through all of that, probably next year we'll have a more definitive borrowing schedule. We could be looking at, at you know, the hit probably three or four years. So at, at any point in between, the town can try to devise its strategy on how to pay for that. Um, and then finally, on the same um, token, um, and I just got to read my memo. So a couple years ago. Retirement of debt. People have heard this about me. I know it's boring, um, but this is something people really can't find boring. Why? This is your school building. So this, this I, I see this as the, one of the most important things um, we do. And this is the quality of our facilities. Um, and so over the years, debt like debt exclusions has come off the books. The library, a variety of projects. And so I've been saying for years, if you hold that up again, that pie, the slice of that pie going towards borrowing or capital investments in municipal buildings and school buildings has slowly declined. And that has allowed more capacity in the budget pie to go towards operational needs. The downside to all of that, especially in this interest rate market, is if we go out to borrow to do the Remington Jefferson remodel, if we go out to do the Washington Street sidewalk, if we go out to do the high school improvements, including the bleachers and some of the 10-year uh, uh, upgrades that we've talked about, and the council has already authorized the borrowing for all of these projects, we did it in 2020, right? Um, and the recycling center, we basically went in and said, okay, what do those numbers really look like? And you can see here in FY26, we predict, okay, that we'll go out maybe in a year, year and a half, and go out and borrow for those. We've assumed those at uh, a rate of about four and a quarter percent with even the AAA bond rating because we just got just under a four last year for the uh, farm, uh, Schmidt's farm. Um, interest rates don't look to be getting much better. But you know, with a little time, hopefully in a year, we're hoping that maybe in a year, year and a half, things will settle down a little bit. So we modeled into this model those projects that have already been authorized. That does not include the police station, 
that does not include the seven, five to seven million that's needed if we're gonna keep Parmenter for the long haul, that's another renovation project like Remington Jefferson. That's a roof, that's a playground, that's boilers, that's all that stuff, it's fixed cost. And so this does not include any of those. And I lay all that out in here. I literally say, what does this not model not include? But it's important to point out those borrowing costs and those interest costs hit. And everyone can see on the interest rate alone, you're tr almost more than doubling your cost just to do those projects, right? So if we want those projects, particularly in my opinion, Remington Jefferson, uh, which is really needed at its 30 year capacity and probably has another, I don't know where Mike went, but 30, probably another 30 years after with a proper remodeling of the school, um, you know, we're gonna have to pay for that. And why is that important? Because that's gonna eat into the operational capacity. So all those assumptions at two and a half percent aren't gonna work. Why? Because if you look down at the model here, FY25, we're looking at a deficit of only a couple hundred thousand. But in FY26, when the borrowing comes on, you're looking at a deficit of one six. And then the next year, three four, when Tri-County hits. And then two five and two four. So even with those assumptions right there, you're, you're, we're, already, we're already way in the red looking out two years from now. Um, and so, um, you know, I think for FY25, I, I will admit, I think, Mr. Chairman, we've talked about it at the Council of Energy where we all um, really thought FY25 would be very punishing. Um, and ultimately, some of the delay in Tri-Counties project and some of these other capital facilities projects are helping shift that burden on possibly a year later or, or several years later. And also with the MEC stabilization fund and the policy that the council did, to make sure that we saved for that day when that huge hit was going to come, you know, we're, we're going to be able to get through FY25 based on some of these assumptions, at least the projections. I mean, I just remind everybody that we're, we're only one month into FY24 and all the projections and budgets that are approved, we don't have the money yet. <laughs> we haven't spent the money yet. We haven't, state didn't just write a check this week for 29 million, right? Like, I mean, this takes the whole year to make sure all the revenues that we anticipated come in. Um, so the message is, and I know Councilor Hamlin's been good about us and everybody, meals tax, eat out in Franklin. Um, if you're looking for a night away from the kids, maybe book a hotel in town. We get a 6% hotel tax on that, okay? I am not up here promoting cannabis, but if that's your thing, buy it in Franklin. We get a 3% excise tax on that. It goes into the pot. No pun intended. It goes into the pot. It wasn't. It wasn't. It just rolled up. So um, I say this to try to lighten up the mood about you know these numbers. Those are those are hard. Those are really hard. And some judicious priorities are going to have to be made. Uh, channeling my inner Jeff Nutting, we have to we have to focus on the quality of facilities because the longer we delay these things, the more expensive those projects are going to be. And I can already assure you, as you would all know. The costs that the council authorized for borrowing in 2020, those are at least 25% higher now. And I have baked into the model those 25% increases on those projects. And I bet you those costs will still be higher than that, particularly with building remodeling going on in this market right now with the supply chain problems and all the other issues. So, um, so we have some huge challenges here. Um, and then just to, um, uh, just to kind of uh, round things out, 
Um, things that are not included in this model. Costs associated with the police station or the Davis Thayer building. If whatever people decide, if the municipal government is gonna do something on Davis Thayer, that's a whole nother whopper of a cost that, that probably can't get absorbed in here. Um, additional strategic investments in the Franklin Public Schools. We've heard lots of ideas for years. There's nothing added in here about additional personnel, additional departments, additional programs, additional athletics. There's nothing in here that says we're gonna get more of something. This does not include any public infrastructure investments of roads, sidewalks, parking lots, trails, or green energy commitments. This does not include the half a million to million in annual capital needs that the capital committee, and I give them a lot of credit with Council Flegery, Council Premier Ledger, Council everybody, saying we don't want annual costs of curriculum and public safety gear to be in annual appropriation. We want those in, right? Um, technology, we don't even talk about technology, um, but I'm sure if Tim was here, he would say, um, Chromebooks, 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 laptop, all sorts of infrastructure. Um, this doesn't even include any new investments in transportation. There's just nothing else I think you get the point. So uh, that's really the model, Mr. Chairman. Those are the, these are the, those are the baseline um, assumptions for the expenditures. I'll stop there and, and see if anybody has any questions. Thank you, Chief. Questions from the committee? Thank you, Tom, and uh, thank you, Jamie. This is, um, well, thank you for, first of all, putting all this information together. It's, uh, numbers are truly harrowing um, at the bottom there, to say the least. And so let me ask the obvious question, just to, so we're all on the same page and make, to ensure that the obvious question gets asked. If nothing happens, what happens? Are we just gonna see cuts across the board? And you said this, these predictions don't even factor in investments that we would like to see, this is just, maintaining, right? So if nothing changes, what, what what's going to happen? This camera got me taking a sip of it. So ultimately, number one, if nothing happens, as I wrote at the end of my memo, I think one of the things is we still have to realize that each year you're making a 2.5% commitment to various accounts and to various departments. Um, and those investments have a real impact in the community. Um, and so one option is, I put it on the menu here, if the town decides to live within its means of the 2.5% level, we're still gonna try to do economic development stuff, we'll try to bring in new revenues, I mean, we'll be creative and do different things as we always have, right? But ultimately, I do believe still, um, the quality of life and the service delivery in this town are as, probably as best as you can find in the United States, and I really mean that. Um, you look around in the news, and you see what's going on around the rest of the country, world, we got it really good here. And so when people say those questions to me, I have to say, in a positive way, I still think this town is in excellent shape with what it has. Obviously, going through the rest of the decade, we have a lot of things we want the municipal part as well as the school part, right? Um, I think I've said in the budget memos before in particular in relation to the school district, at a $1.8 million or $2 million annual increase, in addition to potentially things like state grants and other revenue sources like the out-of-district placement, some of the expense relief, um, in addition to the slideshow that the superintendent and school business administrator put up in the budget hearings this year, 
put out a enrollment-based reduction slideshow of like 10 or 15 slides long. Um, you know, enrollment-based reductions, they've been doing that for 15 years, right? And so ultimately, while that is, you know, that is jobs that are lost, that is there, but the student ratio has come down. So in some ways, the schools have been balancing their budget for the last 14 years, basically because of the declining enrollment. So in some ways, the footprint is shrinking. Um, and so I think over the last 15 years, the irony is, is that the schools have gotten better. So in some ways, I think at some point, we have to kind of say like, where are those, where are those lanes in the road? I don't know exactly, I'm not the magician that can literally point that all out perfectly. I think that's a question that the community now has to answer. They have to answer some of those questions of, do we have enough money? Yes, no. If not, what are those investments that we need to see? Um, and I do think that down the line with the tri-county vote, I think that's obviously one of the big issues. Uh, I think the MEC will be able to get by and the regional dispatch will figure that out slowly but surely. Um, but um, you know, obviously it's a year-to-year -year thing, Dave, right? I can't, I, I'm only crystal volume this out in a, in a model. Um, but the town still has been very innovative over the years. We've, been, we've changed a lot of paradigms. Um, I mean, I know the fire and police departments get a lot of that glory, as they should, um, but so is the DPW, so is the schools, um, and so is every department. It's been creative year by year to reduce costs um, and to find new ways to deliver services at an elite level. Um, and so I think um, this is going to be a big question for the community in terms of answering that question of where they move forward. Like, what are those, what, where are those lines in the sand that we are not willing to cross? So I can't really fully answer like what happens, and I don't, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's right for me to assume that we're just automatically cutting programs and laying people off, because ultimately this year, if there were 22 positions that were reduced in the school department, 16 of those positions were due to declining enrollment, and I'm not saying I want anybody to be reduced at all, okay? But I think over the question and through the community discussions this year and seeing the engagement, this is why all these folks are here. And I think this is a question the community at large is gonna to have to answer. What are your values in terms of moving through the rest of the decade to avoid six layoffs, 22 layoffs, or maybe it's adding positions too, maybe from the federal stimulus money. Um, I think it's a question that we're all gonna to have to come together to try to answer. Thank you very much. And if I may just sure. follow up while we're here. So um, thank you for on that, and correct me if I'm wrong with, with this assumption. So as we get more and more into the red, it's you know you're you're showing with um, you know with these numbers here. You know it's not not just the schools, but also DPW, police, fire, you know library. Our capacity to get creative shrinks more and more and more, and you know the ability to things be moved around and, and the necessity for other for all town departments really to reassess the level of services. I assume also becomes greater and greater. That as then as again we get more and more into the red and the, the pot shrinks and shrinks relative to how uh, costs increase, correct? That's absolutely true. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions for Winky. Winky, what you doing about? <laughs> you want me with the blanket? Yes. <laughs> 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 Amy? Oh, yeah. oh. 
Oh, I see. Jamie, just before I go to the next question, just touch on the new growth dilemma. Uh, in other words, what people, uh, a lot of the people here may not understand that that over the past 20 years has been a valuable finance or revenue source for the community. Maybe you can just speak to sure. what's happened to that. Sure, I mean with new growth, so new growth are unanticipated revenues based on property values that were not anticipated the previous fiscal year. So a good example would be somebody at, at their house does a kitchen remodel and installs a deck on their back porch. When we do the tax rate, you know, we're delayed a year. This is the way municipal finance works. And I, I'm sorry, I don't want to get into a big municipal finance seminar. I know it's very boring. But ultimately, like, it's hard to explain without trying to, without getting into some weeds. But ultimately, if somebody does a renovation to a commercial property or their house, and the evaluation is a year or two old, and the assessors go to appraise that property, and the building permits come through, and there's a $50,000 renovation to a home. Well, that property is now worth $50,000 more than it was before that renovation. In the middle of the year, we capture that revenue in real time, and ultimately, that's your new growth. And I'm synthesizing this, Mr. Chairman, to make it as easy and as quick as possible. So obviously you can imagine with interest rates being high, supply chain issues that are going on, the project across the street that I understand many people aren't fond of, but that project would have already been online by now if it was not for the supply chain problems, the cost increases of materials, and et cetera. But development in Franklin and improvement in properties, commercial properties like 210 Grove Street or some of the cannabis facilities on Grove Street or even some of the businesses downtown, right? To the Bamboo House parcel that's there, Franklin Nutrition, those parcels. All of those get captured by our appraisers and our assessors, Kevin Doyle. Kevin Doyle's the rainmaker, just to give him a plug. The, the principal assessor, Kevin is our rainmaker. Yes, Kobe, he is our rainmaker. He brings in revenue. His team goes out and captures this. If we don't have incredible assessors and an incredible board of assessors, and that number plummets, or if we become too nimby and we just don't want anything anywhere, that number goes way down and your tax levy goes down and cuts come. So ultimately, the properties across the street used to be vacant, Fico's and Keegan's used to be vacant, dilapidated properties. Those are now getting captured in our property tax levy that's now going up 2.5%. You can drive down Grove Street, 210 Grove Street was an old dilapidated facility got renovated by Marcus Partners, who, by the way, sold their profile yesterday for $176 million. I wish that was in here, but they get to the private sector. They get that money. But we still get a lot of revenue off that that gets into our tax base. And so with interest rates, supply chain problems, cost and materials, inflation going up, I don't think I need to speak to most homeowners. People are starting to pull back a lot, right? There's more risk in the marketplace. People are deciding they don't want, they can wait another few years for that renovation. The contractor's too much. Hey, let's, let's save the money. We'll put it on pause. That's now starting to have an impact in our budget, which is why I kept that revenue source assumption across the board at 1.1 million. 
that might even be optimistic. Um, you know, and, and we've had some great podcasts on new growth. Um, so you can, Steve, Mel, Kobe, Brad Chafee, we've had developers on who have been open about this stuff, which has been awesome. But new growth, um, we had record-breaking new growth right prior to COVID. Um, and even the COVID year, new growth was up, broke the record. Why? Because all those projects had financing. The banks had those projects financed. They already had the contractors on site. They had the materials. Those projects kept going. We've seen that dry up. And if you look at a planning board agenda recently, there's a lot less on those agendas, which is telling you fewer applications, right? So when you see fewer applications at the planning board and the meetings are shorter, that's usually a bad sign for the tax levy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was my point. Just we've been fortunate over the last 25 years, and but now things are slowing down. Not a lot of land available in town, and in fact, I think uh, if I'm correct. Last year, single-family homes, new single-family homes in Franklin were 10 that were built. That's not very many. And in the 90s, you were in averaging 90s, 200 plus. 200 plus. And last year, there were 10. So just to put it into perspective. Okay, questions? Councilor Hamlin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Through the chair, I will. I just want to take a moment to thank the chair for his opening remarks. I agree with them 100%. Thank you, Jamie, for putting this together. I was going to ask you to explain new growth. Um, you can explain it. <laughs> You're pretty good at it. No. Um, so thank you, Mr. Chairman, for asking that question. Just a point of clarity here, um, just for people at home, or like you have all the red numbers. This is not at the bottom. This is not cumulative, right? This is every year you predict this is going to be our um, deficit. That's correct. Is that correct? That's correct, right? Based and, on the assumptions. Right, so really in 2029 we'll be like 11 million or something in the whole like that. Right? Could be a lot worse. Could be a lot worse, yeah. Um, and also the, um, just Remind me, did you put, um, did you have the increase in supplies for like the DPW at two and a half percent? Because I, that's like way low. It is way low, but <laughs> it is there way low. Like, oh, yeah, like Brutus, right? It is way low, but yeah. we also know that on an annual basis, Brutus is extremely creative to try to offset those. So one, one part, one contract maybe go up 6%, but then you try to work within the marketplace, like trash rates, right? We yeah. haven't had a trash rate increase in years, right? Because they're creative in how they use their money. So I think, you know, it is low for sure, and I think he would agree with that. Would you agree with that, Bruce? Uh, yeah, Bruce Kenner, I'm DPW director. Uh, obviously, and I think the, uh, particularly last two years, I think we saw, you know, public works, over 60% of our budget is expenses, and, uh, you know, on a, on a $6 million expense budget, that's uh, it fuel driven and chemical driven because you know that's just the things that we have to do. Salt, you know, has gone up. It's just incredible. So we try we try to deal with. It. Right, I know you do. Thank you for all your work. Thank, you. Work. Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councilor.
Thank you to the chair and uh, yeah, Jane, thank you so much for putting all this together. Um, so I'm kind of doing my homework uh, for this meeting, really kind of going back uh, so many years, take a look at the budget narratives over the past. One of the things that line kind of kept coming up in a number of years was you know, balancing the budgets by draining the stabilization funds in a number of years. And also talking about how that's not a long-term solution, the policies need to be met. I know um, in here we've talked about the not touching the stabilization fund and also how that's so critical to get that AAA bond rating. Just be able to elaborate on exactly the, the benefit that uh, the town of Franklin's receiving by having that stabilization fund and not drawing upon it like they have in the past. Sure, a phenomenal question. Um, you know, ultimately, um, if the town was not to maintain, as somebody pointed out to me today, like the federal government that got downgraded, I think, <laughs> yesterday, um, really, um, we're AAA and they're not. Um, but if you really look at that cost, to your question, Dave, it's a great question. When you look at the interest line item in, seven, in account 750, and if you're a tri-county and you're evaluating four and a quarter interest rate, you know, we would say, I think Carrie and Chris would also agree, probably 4%, you know, you just, you know, if you go down to a double A or a double A plus, you know, that number is now tripling because you're getting a 5%, you're getting a five and a quarter, you're getting 6% interest, whatever that is. Um, and so, um, you know, maintaining, and I would say that for both the schools as well as the town, I think it was the revolving fund surplus that's in there, um, while certainly I think some would say maybe a dink and a dunk every once in a while might help out the budget, but you know, ultimately there, there's a surplus there that is a safety net for the school district um, that is critical. And I would argue that none of the reserves um, in any of our stabilization accounts or revolving fund accounts should be tapped into. Um, because that AAA bond rating, um, you're susceptible to a downgrade every single time we go out to borrow money. Because we have to do a rating agency's call, um, we have to do a full <coughs> review, I mean it's hours of work for the finance director and treasurer collector and myself to go through all that. We kind of have to do the best we can to put on a good show. Um, and the Budget Stabilization Account and the Community Preservation Act were two things um, and our reserves in general. General stabilization, budget stabilization, even the school revolving accounts, as well as the fire truck stabilization. The, the, by the way, it is also for the public. We have a stabilization account that we put money into every year for the fields in town. So every 10 or 15 years when the fields need to be rebuilt, we have a, a piggy bank essentially. All of those points add up to the rating agencies having the highest level of confidence in our fiscal policies, fiscal management, and probably most important, discipline. The key factor a couple years ago was the Community Preservation Act and the stormwater utility. Why? It showed the rating agencies that the elected officials had the confidence and trust of the public to be able to do a utility for stormwater, and it also showed the voters of the community were willing to raise taxes for a purpose. Those are huge bonus points when you go into rating agencies. So, um, the the just for the public, if you go to the budget website on the town, all those rating reports are there. People can go read them. I think that's probably where you're coming from, Dave. Um, and so, um, it's really I think, as we still live in a very turbulent world, I think it's really critical to make sure that we maintain that because you're just going to jack up this line item here, and that's just going to make cuts everywhere else. 
No, thank you. And that's yeah. really kind of exactly it, too, to say, you know, it's it's not, I know also in the packet, and this is available for everybody, too, yeah. you know, you might, well, might fight, feel like a rainy day today. It, it, it's not. But even beyond that, even if it were a rainy day, there's still such a, a substantial cost right. to drawing upon that, that in the, the long term, it's just not a feasible or sustainable option. It's not. And I think Mr. Chairman, I think maybe a couple of others may be able to speak to this. They were around back then. Happened in 07, right? You guys passed the one override that was passed was the year before the Great the Recession. So all that progress on that override ended up actually getting wiped away in the recession a year later. But if you had not passed that override, that recession would have been that much worse. Right? And we we're still today, and if Jeff were here, he would back me up on this. We are still trying to get back to where we were from that recession. Hence the messaging this year on like the senior center van that was you know years ago lost, dealing with the arguments from the police department that the chief had mentioned and, and so forth and so on. Find it, we're still trying to pick up the pieces to get back the capacity that we lost in 2008, 15 years later. So it is true. It feels rainy, but it's not. <laughs> well, maybe this summer was rainy, but. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll second. Councilor Chairman? Through you, Mr. Chairman. Hi, Jamie, thank you very much. Very uh, informative. Um, so we just talked about the five-year forecast, obviously. So with the million-dollar growth and the 2.5%, with the, I'll just use an example, the police, the fire, the DPW, would they be able to keep all their people for the next five years? With that? That's another awesome question. So this model does, in fact, this model does not add any new personnel right. in any department, but it maintains the personnel that was approved in the FY24 budget. So it would, it would, it does include in here the same level of personnel that we have today. So for the next five years, I'm getting my streets plowed. Uh, policeman's going to show up at my door. That's right. If I need an ambulance, it's coming. That's correct. Okay. And now I just have to add the school into this. Excuse me, everybody. Um, so with their two and a half, but they got a four percent raise. So we they're going to be down nine hundred thousand to a million right off the bat. Okay, so they're going to need that much more money. Through Mr. Chairman, so I think that's all worked out, you know, by the school committee and the superintendent. I don't know the numbers. To be honest with you, exactly, but I think if you look at history, the way they've been able to get past that is, is from the declining enrollment decreases, right? Um, I mean, if you look at if you look at you know the numbers, and I don't know it off the top of my head, the superintendent would probably know, but ultimately there is a savings on the expense side in an obligation that you don't have to pay when there's a declining enrollment and those costs are shed, and ultimately that's how you're getting to your three million increase. So they're able to fund those contracts. I would suspect, and I think one thing that's a big positive, I think we all agree that the teacher salaries are underpaid. We all agree that we need to be more competitive. We all agree recruitment and retention. Well, in the teacher contract, there's been an 8% increase over the last two years. So I'd like to think that that's a really big positive for the district in the sense that, like Foxborough, for example, I think over the last two years has gotten a 3% increase in their teacher union, maybe four. Well. Now we're making a 4% inroad, right, into that because those costs have gone up, those, you know, the, the salaries have gone up. And so I don't know if there's been an ROI on that. I'm sure nobody has the time to do this because I don't. And I'm sure 
you know, we're all so exhausted and overwhelmed, but, um, you know, I'm guessing, Councilor Chandler, that that's, that's likely how those contracts have been met. So for the next five years, if we hit some rough patches, I'm just saying if we didn't need an override, um, we would still get those services. Yeah, absolutely. This model is completely based off the FY24 budget. All those services that you mentioned, including the schools, would stay there as is. And this model, I mean, I've said this before, as you all know, 100 years ago, five years from now, would have been the Great Depression. Right. So we really don't know what's going to happen. We don't. So just to bring that up. <laughs> but um, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting at that point. You know, you, could, you know you could be a town manager. <laughs> right? That's what we do. Is think know, about the worst scenarios. <laughs> All right. Thank you, uh, yeah. Jamie. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councilor Chandler. Councilor Pondillo, you have any hand up? Yeah, thank you. Uh, this is fantastic. Thank you for all the work you put into this. Uh, throughout the presentation, I had three things uh, stand out that uh, perhaps didn't feel fully covered uh, by what we went through, two of which uh, were already touched upon, uh, but I'll, I'll name them again. One being uh, new growth. Um, and I, I apologize for being caught shaking my head uh, <laughs> with Kevin Doyle. That is in no way to disrespect uh, Kevin Doyle and, and uh, the assessors who do absolutely incredible work and are very important. Um, but they identify uh, new growth that's been completed. They don't allow it or encourage it uh, to be made. Um, the rainmakers in that case are those who make the decision to encourage um, and allow for the types of development that we want in town. Um, so if you want to see new growth, then um, there are decisions that can be made to encourage uh, that new growth. Uh, on the expense side, that's all right. <laughs> on the expense side, uh, yeah, the, the other one that uh, was brought up was, was DPW. That did stand out as the you know, it was, it was stated 60% of your budget is um, is supplies. It, yeah, expenses. And we're the you know the other thing is we're the second well the biggest budget besides the school. Yeah. Like on, on the, so it's significant. Second biggest budget, 60% is supplies. What's personnel as a rough percentage of most other? Uh, I think the police would be like 97%. The fire is probably 90 plus percent. Um, you know, once you get past police, fire, DPW facilities, you're not. You, you, we're getting off 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 track here. You know, when you're talking about assessors, yeah, yeah, controllers, planning, like sure. all that stuff, also usually has. Just so the public's aware, a lot of those departments have statutory requirements to them too. People don't want the board of health. You just can't get rid of it. Um, like you have to have certain things to do certain things. Okay, so I just you know some of these things are not discretionary, and I just. They look like easy picking sometimes, but they're not. So you really, those four budgets, and I think Mike's budget um, is probably similar to Brutus's. His is overwhelmingly expenses from electricity, gas, you know, parts, facility upgrades, kind of all that. The, that was the other one I, I had identified, right? So um, what's scary about the two, right, it's easier to, not easy, uh, but easier 
to uh, ensure a two and a half percent increase amongst personnel, uh, it's much, much harder. This is just hammering a home a point that's already been made, but much, much harder to ensure a two and a half percent increase amongst supplies. Um, 2021 annual uh, inflation rate was 7%, 2022 was 6.5%, uh, 2023 so far uh, has been 3%. Uh, All of those are, for the most part, material supplies being above 2.5%. Uh, uh, so yeah, that, that's a, a, a scary uh, assumption to be made. Like, it, could be, it could be worse. And the other piece uh, amongst that is what's not included, uh, as, you, as you pointed out, is just general uh, capital and keeping up with our, our uh, capital expenses. Can you give us an early preview of like roughly um, uh, in public infrastructure projects that uh, should be done now, uh, the cost uh, of those that you would like to get done? Well, we have, on the 16th, I'll be coming a little more in depth. But, yeah. You know, we just did our road evaluation thing and it, it came back and, you know, we're $40 million as a whole in that. And, what we've shown, I, I think, you know, one thing we're with Public Works is I have a plan for everything. It's been in place for a long time. And, you know, last time we did it, we said our road ratings were going to go down. They have. Because even though the council and we've gotten more money, it's just, it's still not enough. So eventually they are going downhill. And that's, it's just happening. Right. So that's another thing that that's, that's not uh, being captured. And I do recommend that everyone uh, tune into uh, the more thorough presentation. But that's your, uh, you know, us taking care of the roads and uh, the pipes and, and sewers and, and water. Um, just in roads alone, we're already 40 million in the hole. Those numbers are all things that, at least in the past few years, have been growing faster than two and a half percent. Just wanted to make sure those. The third thing um, that isn't fully captured in this, and this is really uh, the conversation for everyone uh, to have is, you know, you touch upon it uh, a little, but the key part of all of this is the actual quality uh, of service uh, that we're delivering. And um, part of it is understanding how we feel about uh, the quality of service that we're currently uh, delivering and, you know, where we want to potentially be uh, aspirationally, but also the uh, impact that falling behind our expenses uh, has on quality. Um, you mentioned that the schools have never been better. I don't actually, um, I don't know uh, all the metrics uh, off the top of my head. That seems like a question uh, that's important to be answering. And in a uh, piece of me, just knowing uh, the programs that have been cut since I've uh, been in school, it seems hard to uh, believe that that would be the case. But at least it's something that. Uh, Those are the three bases. I really do appreciate you walking us through this. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Fondillo. Any other committee people? I have a question for uh, the police chief. Actually, I, for both police chief and fire chief, but I'll do the police first. Same question for both. Could you explain? Uh, the main cost drivers in your expense budget to Kobe's talking about expenses. You finally going up, huh? Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. TJ Lynch, Chief of Police. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, yeah, so our, our expense budget is completely different than Brutus. 
All right, so 4.8 of a 6.9 million budget, or 4.8 of every budget for the last three years is what our expense budget is. The other 95.2 is all salary. Of that, 99% is contractually driven. Can't change it without changing the contract. You gotta pay, you gotta pay all of my staff a union, with the exception of my command staff and two civilians. Seven people out of 54. So that 4.8 represents maintenance contracts for software, which is not, so it's 338,000 of a $6.9 million budget. That's my expense budget. You can't squeeze anything more out of us. Really can't. Um, it's, it, it's, you know, contracts for maintenance agreements with software, things like that, uh, tuition reimbursement for the officers uh, that go to school. It represents the ammunition we use for training. Uh, it's training tuition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not an awful lot. Um, now, one of the things that we've been talking about through these last bu uh, budget processes uh, for the operations budget was taking what we typically and have historically had in capital and putting it into our expense account. And if you're going to take those things historically, and I don't disagree with it. I don't disagree that these are expenses that we ask for every single year. And you're talking, you know, cruisers. You're talking soft body armor bulletproof vests. You're talking some technology and the you know, desktop computers, things like that, and then you're talking about our taser lease program. All items that we have to have. If you were to take all of those and put them into the operations budget on the expense side, it's going to be anywhere from 450 to 525,000, depending on how many cruises we need in a particular year, how many bulletproof vests are up for their five-year renewal, because they do expire after five years. Not letting an officer walk around with a vest that has expired. It needs to stop bullets. That's what it's for. Uh, the tasers are a less lethal option that we have, that if we didn't have, we would end up having to go to a baton, which does a lot more damage than the taser. You know, it save, saves injuries on the suspect, saves injuries on the officers, etc. So all I'm saying is just, you're gonna more than double the current expense account, taking it out of capital and putting it to operations, and it's just gonna add to that deficit. You know, you're talking two different pots of money. Where does the capital come from? It comes from all of the remaining funds that are not expended by departments at the end of the fiscal year. So that's free cash, and that's where we're getting those items. We, you know, and, so, and typically we understand this is a small pool of free cash. So to go to your point, I still, I, I agree that these are regular items that we buy, and if you actually put them into the expense account of our operation budget, I wouldn't have to worry about the off chance that maybe I start the year with all my people and end the year with all my employees. Same thing with DPW, same thing with fire, and there isn't much left in free cash, which means now I might not get all five or six cruises that I'm asking for, or we don't end up getting some of the other items that we're looking for. Um, but that would, you know, so like I said, we have run 4.8, it'll probably remain the same. When our, operate, when our other side of the house goes up, the operation side goes up as well. And so we're running at, five, at about 5%. I don't see it really increasing. This would be a huge difference if we were to now throw $500,000 and add it to the $338,000 budget that we have for fiscal 24. Okay. Uh, we talk about, in Jamie's forecast, about looking at 2.5%, and to Brutus's point earlier, and to Cooperman uh, Callahan's point that all of 
every cost of supply chain, you name it, is going this way. And it's increasing at a rate higher than 2.5%. Where does that money come from? To give you those same things. I mean, would it be more difficult? Are things going to go up? Sure. Are there any efficiencies in that can be garnered in your expense side? We did such a great job with the payroll <laughs> side a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, just looking for you to do a similar thing on the expense side. It's just, it's, yeah, I, the problem is it's so small as it is now, yeah. there's not much I can end up doing with it. Um, a matter of fact, it did. It was at 312, 312, went down to 296, then went up to, you know, 312. I mean, basically, year after year, each year is different. How many people are putting in to go to school for tuition reimbursement? Um, you know, some, uh, do we have leftover ammo because maybe one of the trainings ended up getting canceled? I mean, we're penciling real sharp to make sure that, you know, we need what we, what we need. And in the end, if we have something that we really like and we can't end up basically, I didn't go to the town and say, hey, we could really use a Polaris UTV because we've had a number of incidents that have occurred in, in different areas that we just couldn't get to very easily. You know, we probably needed it for the longest time. We have the Franklin State Forest, which is one of the only places you can ride a dirt bike legally in the state of Massachusetts. Um, you've got the SNET Trail, you have this and that. So we didn't ask. We bought the money out of federal asset forfeiture funds, which is the money that we receive because I have an officer who works pretty much about 40 hours a week with Homeland Security investigations. This is drug money that was taken from drug dealers. Wow. I've bought other, a lot of equipment. I never really talk about it because, you know, it's, it's just we do what we do and we get things done. And we spent plenty of money on things that we either would like to have or would ver or, or need, but cannot or don't feel comfortable asking the town for it because we know that the, it's going to come out of capital and capital is so big. And the, you know, every year everybody's asking for so much. So we end up using that you know, when we can. And we don't go and ask for something that we don't think we're going to be able to get. And if we don't have the asset forfeiture money to do it. But this is, this is one-time funds, just like the town council and all the other financial people. You don't take one-time revenue and inject it into using it for salaries. And as a matter of fact, we can't. The federal government would not allow that. It can only use it for training, equipment, and basically investigative overtime. And that's pretty much what we use it for. So if anyone's wondering where the UTV came from, that's the money we're in. <laughs> and I am not saying sorry to the drug dealers that we basically helped us put it behind bars. These are, these are your big ones. These are your distributors. The reason we have them attached to that is, you know, our jurisdiction is here. We're talking about big fish that provide smaller fish that provide even smaller fish that make those narcotics into Franklin. Uh, it goes, it's part of our entire plan of how are we going to end up trying to say, you know, do the best we can to prevent people from getting addicted to opioids. And then once they are, obviously we use our clinicians and we use every other resource we can to try to get them the help that we need. And this is another part to that. And we want to use that money. And by the way, the state's trying to make it so that they limit some of these, our ability, you know, with these funds. I don't know why. We're fighting it hard. I hope it's not. Ben Franklin was bought with federal asset forfeiture. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Although we never went to the town and asked for no, it. No, you did not. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, to answer your question, sir, I don't think that we can really reduce anything more, and I can't depend on always getting that money in. Although, you know, Timmy Nagel, who's a detective that works, it, does a great job, um, and we, you know, have some funding come in, but it, 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 I don't know when it's coming. I don't know how often it's going to come. It didn't come. During COVID, we didn't get much because the federal courts were shut down, just like the state courts and everything. So, 
Thank you, Chief. You're welcome. Uh, Chief McLaughlin. Same question. Yeah. Explain the main cost drivers. These are expensive. Jim McLaughlin, Fire Chief. So from fiscal year 19 to 24, the fire department's expense budget is between 8 and 9 percent. For FY 24, our expense budget is roughly $650,000. 500 of that is basically five uh, major line items on the whole expense budget. Our first and highest is uh, vehicle maintenance. Most of our vehicles have to get uh, serviced outside of DPW. They have to be a, um, they, they don't handle the, the pumps, the ladders, and you know, what have you. We have to send out for that. That's the biggest cost driver on, in our expense budget. The good news is, through the support of many of you people here, we are in great shape right now with our frontline apparatus. We're going to be in better shape in 25 with that ladder truck. But we're already seeing with those 21 engines put in service, with these two ambulances put in service, the number slightly came down this year from last fiscal year for that cost. So it's a big cost, but we've got a good handle on it. And based on everything we've gotten from this council and the finance committee, we're going to be in good shape in the next few to five years in that regard. Our second is our health, our health, our health supplies, EMS supplies. The unfortunate thing with health supplies is post, uh, post COVID, those supplies prices really went high. But we also have that opioid agreement that we've got that that's going to allow us throughout the next 10 years to get Narcan, get other EMS supplies that we don't have to use in that budget now based on that settlement that to the best of my knowledge is going to be in 10 years. Mm -hmm. So that's going to help us keep that in check over that course of time. Then we have tuition reimbursement. Um, that's a, a collective bargaining agreement that uh, we promote. We want our, our firefighters uh, to go get education. And um, tuition, and then the uh, contractual services, just like the police department, we have a line item for outside vendors that come in to inspections of equipment, our generators, our ladders. Our, our, all of our equipment, they can come in and service that. So that's a major line item. And the last one is our uh, EMS vendor, our ambulance transport vendor. Uh, that's our third party billing company. And that number is our fifth highest line item. That's actually a line item we'd like to see to go up because that vendor gets 2.9% of what we bring in for revenue. So in FY23, we brought in $2.2 million in the ambulance transport revenue, which was an increase of about $350,000 from last year. That's a percentage. And fortunately, that same vendor, we got a new three-year contract. We actually got their price even lowered a little bit. So they're taking a little bit less than they were taking the last five years. So that's a number that goes up. We have to give the, con the, the contractor more, but it's a percentage. That means we're bringing in more. So it's actually a good number to seek up because that money goes into the revenue for the uh, for the town. As far as what we can do, I, 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 it's an opportunity for me to just, I'm very proud of it, you no know this. Trucks. No, uh, no, no, no new trucks. No new trucks. Not after 25, well, well we the council meeting coming up. Um, but we, as far as uh, expenses, just like the police chief said, we, we don't have much, it's, it's 8%. But we do have that volunteer committee that the fire department put together a few years back. And we're proud to say that we've got up to about $1.8, $1.9 million from grants and from donations that we've got these, this is not the chief of department, it's not the administrative team, it's everybody on the fire department. These folks, these men and women come in, do it on their own time, and it's, they become competitive, and we've gotten a lot of money. We just got $600,000 this year in radios. We would have been in front of capital. 
to get two, two or three more stages of portable radios, we don't have to do that now. So um, we just got $300,000 in training. I just bring it up. We just we try to do our best. We just try to, we're just trying to yeah. do our part. We really are. And we're really proud of it, and we're going to continue to do it. And uh, that helps offset the expense account, because just like what uh, Chief Lynch said, we truly don't have that much uh, room to work with on the expense side. Repeat that grant number. We're $1.8 million. We're coming up on close to $2 million. Thank you, Chief. Mr. Kenner, Mr. Chairman. I know you, you answered part of it, but the same question. You have the biggest expense budget of the municipal part of government. What are the main cost drivers in that expense budget? The main, the main cost drivers are, are, are supplies, bulk type things like fuel and salt that, you know, we don't have a lot of control of that we have to deal with. That, that's, that's the largest thing. And then you, you get into like, you know, our, our, um, our asphalt costs when we're going through potholes and stuff like that. And then uh, the other big thing, it's so, I think everybody understands at home, is uh, vehicle costs. Um, we, we, we have over uh, 200, I think, 68 registered vehicles. Yeah. And that's not even that's not even counting, you know, the backpack blowers and, and all the other stuff. So all the, the parts and everything and the oils and specialties that go along with that are just it's it's, it's incredible. Tires have just gone up tremendously. So those are the those are the really the big things that we do. And, and one thing I, I I do like to say is that um, you know with public works we touch every department in town. You know it doesn't matter if it's the library, the senior center. You know, maintaining that the school department take care of all the grounds and, and, and stuff like that. So we, we actually are hitting everyone in one one way or the other. Thank you, Bruce. Okay. Any other questions from the committee? Anyone in council chambers have a question? I do. Please. All right. Um, just come forward, name yep. and address, please. Uh, Sarah Catapano Friedman from 73 South Street. Uh, question, one thing we didn't touch on were uh, the health care benefits and also the pension benefits. Mm -hmm. I know you're projecting a 2.5% increase on those, but that seems low when you're talking about health care costs and pension costs. Um, so I'm seeing that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, as a potential place where we may end up owing a lot more money. I don't know what the uh, increases have been over the last few years, percentage-wise, on those. Uh, through you, Mr. Not, Chairman. You mentioned 7%. 7%, was it? Yeah. yeah, so the model does assume 5% uh, pension rate of growth in the pension, um, okay. which is just right there, retirement and pension. This does, actually, I should, I should clarify one thing. It's a 5%. That does not include Mass Teacher Retirement System, so that does not include NCRS. Right. That is just Norfolk County. Um, so it assumes a five percent there, and then health, life insurance benefits right here is only. This is only the municipal cost. Okay, that assumes a seven percent rate of growth there. Okay, and that's about an average over say the last five years or so. And the schools, I I know because we we jointly work on health care through an insurance advisory committee together. 
um, and so they budget the exact same percentage. The school budget does pay for their own health care benefits, but when you add it all up, salaries and benefits between both the school department as well as the municipal department, you know, is occupies probably three quarters of the entire budget. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if my numbers are correct, these are Dave, or Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, salaries and health care occupy about 85 to 80 percent of the entire school budget. That, that's probably pretty accurate, right? 88 percent. So health care is a 12 million dollar 13 million dollar line item for the town every year, you know, and goes up 7%. Yeah. So it, it, you're correct in your analysis. It is, it's a tough time, but what, it is another success story where we have the insurance advisory committee, it's called an IAC. It's made up of union members of each department. Um, Joe Corey comes from, on behalf of the schools. Donna shows up a bunch of times. Wendy usually comes a bunch of times too. And we all work together with the administration and the school administration with our consultants and our folks to try to get the best plan design. Um, to be true, the, the real reason why this line item has not really killed the town is because of the health savings account um, program that we offered four or five years ago. It's become incredibly popular. It's lowered costs for the town and schools. It's also lowered premiums. And shockingly, two thirds of the employees don't hit the deductible. So we offered a high deductible plan some years ago, and 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 it's you know first couple of years people were tentative, right? Um, but now uh, it's the first question out of every members they ask every year is, can we keep the health savings account? So it's actually kind of also a success story, I think, of the paradigm shifts we try to do here year to year. So when you look at the numbers, yeah, it looks like a deficit, but every year we're still constantly innovating to try to do those things. So. Sorry for the shameless plug, but she gave me a little no, bit. No, no, absolutely. So it, sounds like, it sounds like we're saving uh, what we can on the healthcare and the absolutely. pension. Absolutely, yeah. And then those uh, building funds that we don't have allotted in your budget for Jefferson, Remington, yeah. uh, Parmenter, all that. Those are in here. They're in there. Parmenter okay, so is not. Parmenter's not. Parmenter okay. had an authorization in 2020 for $1 million for boilers, but I think, you know, you know, we have to have the, I know the schools are entering into a facilities plan. It's, it, I'm sorry to say this, but I'll just say it. it. It just doesn't make sense to go out and borrow five, six, seven million um, to renovate Parmenter um, if we don't know what the future beholds for all of these, for all of the schools. We have to at some point make that judicious decision. That's a lot of money to borrow, especially when Remington Jefferson is probably gonna cost the same amount, right? So you're talking, 10 to 15 million in borrowing, four and a half percent interest. Um, I've already spoke to it, but. So the question is without enough money, whether to close Parmenter right. as a school. That's their decision. Yeah. But ultimately the facilities plan that I think are working, I think you guys voted like last month, right? I mean, at some point, um, I think we got to figure out as a community what the future of those, of those issues are. Um, I, I went through my fixed cost slide with the budget presentation. I mean, all of that just absorbs more money out of out of operations, right? Staff, people, healthcare. I mean, I hope one takeaway is everyone understands all of this is interrelated somehow. One decision that is impacted here affects a whole series <coughs> of other ones downriver, and that's a great example of that there. Thanks. Thank you. Anyone else in the? Council Chambers, please. Just name and address, please. Sure. 
Um, Heather Sanchez, I'm on one Dartmouth Road. Hi. I knew I was eventually going to get up here and say something. I just wasn't sure what it was going to be. Um, but this has been um, really good and really helpful. A couple things that I wanted to just question or just ask a little bit more about is that this entire budget that you have here, or not budget, forecast mm -hmm. is just that. It's an assumption of costs, um, income, everything. So we don't really know, obviously, nobody has a crystal ball. Um, but one thing that stood out to me was um, on the page up a little bit more where you talk about debt exclusions. Um, and then you talk about how, I think it's in year 27, and that is around the same year that you're discussing the tri-county funds. Um, so we actually have an increase of, I think it's about $3 million that year because of the debt exclusions, right? Mm -hmm. So to your point earlier, um, if we pass. If we pass. 11 towns have to vote. I mean, the real, yeah. realistically, they're going yeah. to probably pass. Yeah. And uh, again, there's assumptions, right? Yeah. That's so right. this is assuming that it passes. Um, so, um, <laughs> you were talking about debt exclusion. You get the, you get yeah, the I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Some are coming off. Some are coming off. That's what I'm saying. saying. So, to assume that we won't have the, enough money in 27, 28 to pay for Tri County may not be necessarily true because of the creativity and wizardry that we're also very good at. Um, and we may be able to find that money. And that's for maybe five years out from now. We really don't know the economic status of the world at that's that right. point in time. So I, I bring that up because there's so much conversation um, around, you know, everything. Jeez. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing that we don't know about that keeps coming up is the hold harmless funds. In order for the state to change that rule, every community in this state would have to be impacted by that. So not only would Franklin have to take an $11 million hit, first of all, it would never happen overnight, and not in year one. They would drag that out for 10 years, 20 years, to be equitable, because you can't just do that. I mean, what would we do? We'd lose everything, right? So I think that it's important that, while it's noted in the budget that there's a big chunk of hold harmless funds, may or may not be relevant to the five-year plan. So that's an assumption just to, yeah. right? Or no? Okay, Mr. Chairman. So, Heather's correct, and I, 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 you know, nobody has a crystal ball on what Beacon Hill would do. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here and I'd be retired on an island in Hawaii, very rich, if I could predict what they were going to do. But, you know, I worked in the state, I worked in the legislature for like 10 or 11 years. I've worked five of those years as the chief of staff on the, on the education committee. I was there in 2006 when they did the the revision, the, the, actually the most significant revision they did to Chapter 70 was in 2006. Most people don't give that year a lot of credit, but they changed the entire, they basically created an aggregate wealth model, right? So previous to 2006, it was land values that determined Chapter 70. After 2006, it was based on land values and median income of a community, right? And uh, the town of Sandwich at the time was really, really being hit hard because they had a campaign called Fair Share for Sandwich that was based around the fact that they were land rich, but they were a middle class community. So they changed the formula. 
and 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 then there's a bunch of other down. You're, you are correct. To change Chapter 70 is 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 a Herculean effort. The Student Opportunity Act that passed in 2019. I can't imagine anytime soon the legislature is going to pick this back up again. Uh, that being said, um, not to go where Councilor Chandler's dystopian view would be in, in 29, but in all seriousness, the one caveat I would say to your point, while unlikely. We didn't anticipate a 14% out of district placement. We didn't anticipate 2020. We didn't anticipate inflation being the way it is. And as Jeff Nutting wrote for many years, and I wrote for many years, you know, it's just walking on thinner, thinner ice, yeah. right? So we can assume, and I, I think you're right, Heather. I think to change Chapter 70 and to get away from hold harmless would, is a very, very hard thing to do, um, and likely, almost likely not to happen. However. Being in the room in 2006 and watching how the deals got made and looking at the districts that were lower enrollment then versus spiking enrollment versus high income towns versus low income towns and the impacts of a chapter 70 redistribution, the community has to be aware that the local contribution has to go up someday. Otherwise, the city of Boston has like a $45 million whole harmless thing. I mean, you know, think if they lost that. I mean, do you really, does the community want to be in a position where we get to the end of the decade and we maybe are not in a Great Depression, but the economy goes south like in 2008? I just said it took, it's still, we're still picking up the pieces 10, 15 years later. And so the hold harmless piece, and I know Miriam spoke to this for years. I mean, she is, in the superintendent's previous, have talked about this for years, about that hold harmless number, the more it goes up, the harder it is for the local contribution to catch up to it, right? And someday, there very well could be a scenario in which they're not gonna take the whole 14, 18, five million. Again, what if it's 10%? What if the redistribution means this? And then ultimately, the district is vulnerable to the fact that next year, or in FY25, you're gonna be, the district is gonna be 35% smaller than it was in 2008, and on the record for the town of Franklin, for 15 years, there has never been an attempt to <coughs> increase the local contribution. That's probably not gonna go over well on Beacon Hill. And if you're in a district with an increasing service demand, whether it's a gateway city, whether it's a larger city with higher costs, whether it's school building costs, or whether it's a, a district with increasing enrollment like Hopkinton or Needham right now, who are, who are the inverse of us, those lawmakers will say, hey, wait a minute, why are you making so much whole harmless money? You know, let's work out a deal. And then all of a sudden, you show up one day, and I, and I say, well, the conference committee budget came out, and it wasn't just $2,000 less than what it was, and then I'm up here saying, well, they changed the formula, they had to balance their budget. And I can assure you, some of the accounts that happened during a budget deficit on Beacon Hill they go for the big. Education aid is usually put over the side. Usually special ed circuit breaker, transportation, regional transportation, those ones take you know, a huge hit usually right out of the gate because they're the most money to balance the budget, right? Um, and so I just, while Heather is 100% right, I can't, I can't as a manager ever say, like we're good, we're safe. So I just I need people to understand that, thank you. So further assumptions there then that things could happen, we could be in a depression. I mean, a lot of things are going to happen all around this room and all around this 
country if we're in a depression. So I think that there's a bigger t there's a bigger story there if we're going to into we're in a that. depression. Yeah, it's a big problem. Big problem. Right. Um, some of the comments about the, um, the you know some of the positions in this town um, under, under your sections or under all the sections are just discretion. They're not discretionary. They're they're required. Um, positions they can't like you said the what you say the health inspector same as in the schools right, right. there's Absolutely. many positions that can't be changed Absolutely. they are what they are and I think it's important to note that mm -hmm. um, I know you may also made some mention I just I know you're eventually going to dive into other smaller committee meetings I don't know what the plan is or what the schedules I hope maybe you'll discuss it at some point just to, to understand what the plan is because I know in the beginning you said you'd be diving deeper into each of these with each department. Um, but a couple things that just stood out. Um, the stabilization funds for the fields you were talking about, I mean, think about using that for the bleachers, 300 yeah. grand. Well, you just can't. No, I, I know, and, th and that's good, and that's part of the, the education it that is. needs to be, you know, I need to understand. And um, the word override keeps being thrown around because of inflation. Just know that the community and the members in this community are also suffering from inflation-related situations and loss of jobs, et cetera. So to assume that everybody would be okay paying more money is not safe. So just another thought from a community member who has talked to a lot of people who don't want to pay more money in their taxes because yeah. they can't afford it. Not because they don't want better things or a wish list of things. It's that it's unaffordable at this time. So also another thing, when you go back to your groups and say, oh, we need more money, but how do we get it? Well, it just may not be out there right now. So what, you know, keep that in mind. Um, and then I know we heard from a few department heads, but it might be good to hear from the superintendent if you felt like speaking or not. I don't know if you guys had some specific things about this. questions? Um, sure. Yeah. But Anybody that's all I wanted questions? to say. I mean, Thanks. Yeah. Everyone's available. Okay. To each other. Yeah. Somebody, any? Um, at a few of the school committee meetings, just to kind of touch on um, what Heather was saying, um, in regards to Chapter 70, I brought up that through the Massachusetts Association of School Committees, they've brought up a few times now over the past few months that they will be reviewing the formula in FY27 because a lot of the state reps have been contacted by school committee members in those towns because they've seen that Franklin has such a high amount. And they're wondering why they have nothing and Franklin, who is considered a wealthier town, is getting so much more state aid. So it might take 10, 20, 30 years, but it is, it, it is coming, so it's just something to kind of think about in the back of mind. So you're validating my comments. <laughs> That's actually even more frightening. Yeah. Because I didn't realize. No, I really truly oh, didn't it's realize. It's a huge conversation yeah. piece. I've said it jokingly before. Mayor Wu is our best friend yeah. because the hold harmless will impact Boston huge, and the political force in Boston should at least be a strong voice. We have excellent representation ourselves, but you know they obviously have more senators and reps, right? Um, so I think that. Um, be friendly to Mayor Wu. Too. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, let me I'll get to you in a second there. Uh, somebody else in council chambers had their hand up? Please come forward. 
Name and address, please. Hi, Fabiana, 524 Coronation Drive. Thank you. Here we go. You're great. Yeah. Um, I have questions because a lot of it, looking at the forecast, like you mentioned that that's what we anticipate, right? Mm -hmm. But like, I'm listening, I'm, and I'm feeling that like we are reacting more than anticipating, mm -hmm. right? And my question is like, when would be the time, and if we would have the time to discuss other alternatives to incentivize new growth, mm -hmm. Uh, because we need more jobs, right? We need uh, investors, not investors, we need like local businesses that, there's other other avenues for growth, like, and you said that this forecast does not mention uh, green energy and technology. So I would like to know if that investing in green energy, for example, would be something that we should have done before and cannot wait. So this is a great question. Um, you did a great job. That's, and I Thank hope you. I get close to your answer. So when I say there's no investments in here in green energy, what, I, what I'm referring to are investments in our own infrastructure in town, like in our buildings or automobiles um, in municipal expenses. The town doesn't have any, any uh, money allocated in the budget anywhere. Um, to do like a business development investment, right? So where we're saying, how do we create jobs? Or how do we do that? Um, traditionally, that's the state of Massachusetts that does a lot of that investment. I know Councilor Frangillo could speak to a lot of this. I'm putting him completely on the spot, but he's, he's a smart man who works on the committee who seriously, and I'm being honest, has a, has a better bird's eye view of, of clean energy um, than I would. Um, in terms of job growth, right? In terms of investments um, in, in like local economies. But when I mention green energy in here, um, we've had comments from a lot of citizens saying we want to do a study to get the town of Franklin to a net zero status, for example. And uh, you know, I think most people in this room, and I hopefully most would agree that that's a really great thing. We've got a great um, clean energy sector in Massachusetts. Uh, but I wasn't referencing any investments the town makes in terms of creating jobs um, or developing new growth. That said, um, I love your optimism of job growth and of new growth and what it takes to, to, to try to raise more revenue through development. Um, I think uh, Councillor Frangillo and I are both right. Um, he did do a touche that um, the assessors do capture what's permitted. Um, I still consider them a rainmaker, but I think his point was the Planning Board, ZBA, and Conservation Commission allow development to happen, and when residents come out and oppose everything, they feel like they need to mitigate that or not approve projects or maybe, maybe shrink projects, right? Um, but ultimately, he's correct about that, I'm correct about the assessors, the ultimate rainmakers are really the businesses and residents of the towns. If we want more growth in those areas, people who live and work in this community invest in it, including everybody here. Um, we ha I don't want to be the guy that says, go do a home improvement, <laughs> um, go renovate your kitchen, um, or go buy a property across the street and go do a commercial industrial project. But I think what Councilor Fragile is getting to is the opposition to development is unquestionably 
a deterrent to raising revenue to be able to meet our expense goals for the schools and other departments. So I think that's what you were getting at. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, generally, Franklin's known as a very business-friendly community, but I think as the town has changed, um, there's been a lot more opposition to a lot of things, right? Um, and we all understand, I, I typically tell people, if you want to be obstructionist to a project, that's your right, but you will probably not win that. If you want to go to Planning Board, Conservation, and ZBA and try to mitigate a project, traffic or whatever, you know, then you're going to get that project um, both, we're going to get the revenue from that project, but also you're going to end up having a better project with traffic calming measures, better signage, trees, you know, whatever the case may be. So um, I agree with you 100%. Kobe, I hope I, I hope I kind of clear, nailed kind of our comments back and forth, but I think ultimately you agree. Um, I'm, com I'm comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think people do need, I'll, I'll take the shot at this one, but people do need to be conscientious that when we go out and oppose development, that has an impact. You are completely right. That has a huge impact on, on what goes on. Here. Right. But I think that I'm also concerned about like not just stopping investors, because I think that what we want is like our residents should be able to invest in their town and work here. So yeah. we want people that like earn money and invest in their town. So yeah. like not big developments, but like yeah. we want to be like, yeah. and um, I don't know if that, that's something that it, when we would have the opportunity to talk about that and like if there's something that we. It's a, it's a really, really great question that I don't have a great answer for. I would just mention that Glen Farmer Distillery that's a local family that invested millions in that building, um, that has improved the value of that building, um, that have a lot of employees in that building. When we did the, when the, when we did the cannabis industry agreement, all of those agreements all had local job preferences in it, right? So they were hiring a majority in place of NETA. Most of their executive team all live in Franklin, bought houses here, renovated houses. So I think that gets to your point. I, I don't want to bore everybody for an hour. Maybe we can talk offline. Sounds great. And we can talk about some of the success stories that some of that is happening and it's hard to cultivate, but um, we, are, we have cultivated some of that um, over the years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much, uh, Chair. Um, but first, I also uh, thank you for everybody in the council chambers, everybody at home, uh, for the great questions and a lot of the comments. And um, I know, Jamie, you kind of mentioned some of the podcasts. Uh, there's there's a lot of great information, a, a lot of podcasts over on Franklin Matters that really kind of synthesizes a lot of the information, a lot of the work uh, that's being done right now. If you ever want to jump on that and listen to that, usually a little like 30 minute bite-sized chunks. Because uh, there there's a lot of work to be done uh, moving forward. One thing too, we kind of talk about uh, forecasts. If I may just, sure. uh, to the superintendent, quick question. It's in the nosebleeds. <laughs> <laughs> Feels good, doesn't it? Every once in a while. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, so I know uh, a lot has been said about the enrollment-driven uh, reductions within the budget uh, over the over the past 15 years. What do the enrollment projections look like moving forward? 
So um, you may recall we had a demographic study done um, by Jerry McKibben, um, a demographer who came in and did a de demographic study in relation to the study of Davis Thayer at that time for the closure, but it also was used in some of our projections as we move forward. Um, the enrollment forecast, just to be clear, I think I'll take an opportunity while I'm here to clarify a couple of things tonight as well, but um, ultimately in 22-23 at our elementary, he predicted we'd have uh, 1,963 students. We have 2,056 students. We're a little bit higher than what he had projected. Now, he was using 2010 census data. We now have 2020, so I think it behooves us as a community to get the updated 2020. But going off, that's pretty accurate considering we went through a pandemic and to be uh, that close. So um, we take these projections and have tried to build them out. I think it's important to note for the elementary, in 22-23, if we're at 2056, if you look at his model, and I, and I just did uh, added where the discrepancy was to try to model out for the, uh, the future years. 23-24, we see a decline. 24-25, it declines, but then, by 25, 26 at the elementary level, you're back at the numbers you have today. At elementary. So I think it's important to note that because when we think about schools and we think about our levels, where we have five elementary schools in two years, if you have the numbers you have now, we just conducted a redistrict analysis where we talked about could we um, fit all of our students in, um, in a consolidation? And, and the answer was the conclusion we came to was no at this time. If we're looking at the facilities assessment report that was done, you may recall the Kessel Moose report. A lot of great information in here. I pointed people to this. Some of the suggestions in there at the end are, uh, are worth looking at. We are in the process as a district of looking at doing a comprehensive plan to assess our facilities because the, uh, the other conclusion of the, and I'm sorry, I'm trying to capture the whole thing. Um, I'm in my teacher mode here. Yeah. <laughs> ultimately, stay awake. Back. Uh, so ultimately what we're trying to do is really try to build off of the redistricting analysis conclusion was we need more information about the big picture if we're going to be on board with any type of long-term change. And I think Jamie's point around really looking at that and then making decisions that make sense for our community um, regarding space and facilities would make sense. But we have to do that work and show that um, to, our, to our stakeholders and to, to the folks uh, in this room wanted to just capture at the middle level as we look ahead. So if you think about the decline at the elementary and then where it starts to come up, those smaller classes start to move through. If you have a third grader and they hit middle school, when we look out into the, the next few years, the middle school numbers will, are at, we're at 1,074. They will continue to decline and in 20, they, they continue to decline until you hit 2029. So 2829, you start to see that come back up at the, at the middle level. And at the high school, you'll see that number decline through 2029. So that smaller group starts to, to move. We do see a shift. Just want to be accurate here. I'm sorry, 2028, the middle school starts to climb back up. So we're in 2024, FY24. By 28, you'll see the middle school numbers come up. So within that time, part of the reason for a comprehensive plan, and it happens to be in conjunction with the, um, the town's master plan, we changed the name so there was no confusion on our end um, of what we're doing is we're trying to really look and assess our facilities at the same time. 
um, you can't just assess facilities mechanically, but you need to, because ultimately, where we send our public, and in our case, our students every day and our staff, we need to make sure those facilities are up to the standard that we expect in Franklin, which is a very good one. And someone as a resident, I certainly appreciate each of our departments and what they offer and, and the creativity and what they've done to, to provide the, not only the level of service, but our buildings and the facilities we have. But we have to take a close look as well. The, oops, I hit on some of the notes. There's, there's a lot of information tonight. Um, we're also looking to put a long range budget model together. The same sentiments that have been made around modeling are you're basing it off of assumptions, but that's what budget modeling is. You're basing it off assumptions. So barring any um, major issue, we um, as a school plan to continue to look at how do we budget out. Uh, I want to clarify just a few points just to make sure that we're on the same page. Um, this document I would point uh, people to, it's on the website. It's the presentation that was done for the Finance Committee on May 10th, mm -hmm. but I did share it again at school committee during the budget hearings. It hits on a lot of information that was discussed about school, um, and it's, uh, it helps to kind of really illustrate where we're at and what we're faced with. We're a human business, right? So we teach kids, and in that case, you're thinking about we need adults to do that. So 77% of our budget is made up of salaries. You add another 9% for um, healthcare, You're, that's, that's basically the bulk of your budget. And then you start to look at those other um, areas. I want to just make sure I hit on. The formula, just to clear, Mr. Sherlock, uh, just to talk that through, when we think about the money from the formula, if the formula was just done, just basic math, and it's in here, there's a slide on this that kind of shows the math problem. Um, it was 18 million 40, thousand four hundred and eighty one dollars and we received twenty nine million thirty eight thousand eight hundred and forty one so it's about ten ten million nine hundred and ninety eight so eleven million is the number just to be clear for the crowd so we walk out with the with the accurate number from from FY 24 when we think about declining enrollment uh, we think about also um, when we factor in retirements resignations and not filling positions it's not all related to um, cuts, but we try to look at who's retiring this year, and we, we try to be as fiscally responsible as possible when we look at our budget. And I think we've demonstrated that. I've been in that chair for over 15 hours this year to talk about the school budget um, for the right reasons. And I think because we're the, um, the largest cost driver with regard to budgets, it, it does make sense. Um, I've advocated to just show where we land for comparables within the Hockamock League because it's important to have context from within our town, but you also need to be thinking about where do we fall within um, other communities similar to ours, or who we aspire to be, or um, where, we, where we are currently. Um, we had to make some tough decisions this year. The 700,000 helped us out tremendously to bring back key positions that, if not, we would have seen higher class sizes across the board um, in many of our areas. I think that's problematic. Recruitment and retention, I know we talked a little bit about teacher salaries and the increase. I know last year in July, I mentioned it at school committee, we had 117 vacancies that we were filling before the start of the school year. And we were able to really get down to um, a few that led into the fall. Some were key positions. I think back to science or physics position, which led into the fall, because some positions are really difficult to, to find. So I think from a recruitment retention standpoint, I'm not alone in that. I know my colleagues are also experiencing that. I'm in, in this room and from other industries, 
we're all trying to find, and I think if you work in, an, in a business, it's harder to find qualified employees across the board. So that's not a unique thing to the schools. Um, the last thing I wanted to say was just um, my advocacy for schools uh, is not certainly not meant to fall on asking for money that and lands on the backs of my colleagues in this room from the DPW, the fire, or the police, because ultimately I'm advocating for what I need to sustain the organization we have as the leader. It's my job to advocate for schools and for what kids need, but I recognize in the room we're facing some conversations that impact our entire town and our entire community. Um, and I just say that as someone who's not only a superintendent, but I'm also a Franklin resident who's raising children here, who's benefited from the services that our schools provide, our fire, our police, and our DPW. So uh, I say that with all sincerity, and I just hope I clarified every point that I had. I don't want to take too much more time, so thank you. Thank you, Lucas. Councilor Pangelo. I will say, Ben, uh, many of my questions for you were covered. I, I'm glad I didn't have to ask him. We just had to okay. tell you to speak it. <laughs> 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 uh, if, if, if I could ask you as best you can to, we went through the, the whole town part of things, but um, you know, the school part is, is the largest, but all we can see uh, is, that, is that top line assumption. So if, if you could, sorry, you're good. Yeah, sorry. Uh, if you could uh, sort of as comparable, right, what, what we walked through with, with uh, expense assumptions was sort of like, here's where we can see two and a half percent, here's some things that we know are likely to be uh, above, you know, Without putting you on the, on the spot mm -hmm. too much, and maybe this is a, a later meeting, you, could you talk about it uh, in that way? For example, I know that, uh, or it, it's my understanding that um, the personnel in uh, schools were identified, and I think you touched upon this a little, to be uh, particularly struggling um, relative to communities, and that was really hurting our ability to retain and recruit. And so we're trying to catch up in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, past our, our two and a half percent um, increase. So if you could sort of go through from a high perspective, sort of places where we know where we can be at, at level and places where we know um, we're expecting to be well. I think one thing I would say is we were, um, with the 12 mile radius co comparable districts, at a time we were um, ranked 10th out of 12th out in, the, in, the, in the surrounding areas with um, entry salary. And then on the top scale, we're 11, about a 12. So I think trying to stay competitive today, I'm noticing also uh, the feedback I get when people resign is they want to move closer to home. That's understandable. Mm -hmm. um, but there are reasons people leave um, for, for a variety of things. And uh, we're seeing that through the pandemic when people started to have the opportunity to take a minute and work from home and not take a minute in the sense of rest, but not commute. Um, I think it changed people's perspective on this. And I think we've seen that. And Jamie and I have had this conversation, uh, conversation as well. So um, I think trying to remain as competitive as possible is one piece of it. Balancing the budget, uh, thinking about our, um, our student needs, uh, as enrollment has declined, we've kept up with the classroom teachers that are in front of kids. We have a range. It's basically a worksheet and a math problem, and we try to be as transparent as possible with that, but stay within the ranges um, of what the school committee has expected that we would have class sizes be. For example, 18 to 22 kids. Right, would fall into an elementary level class. That's where you would expect a, a, a range. You know, there's research out there that shows having reasonable class sizes for a teacher 
um, is a huge factor in, in their ability to educate students. When you compound that with what we're still experiencing through the pandemic, um, we had a keynote at the, the Massachusetts Superintendent Institute, and he talked about just the impact on kids and where they're at. And I'm not someone who's, I have, I'm a parent as well, and I'm not harboring on the pandemic. I'm not saying this to sound um, what was me, but the reality is, is the behavior in students today um, and the needs of students today have certainly increased. So as we we have kept up with our enrollment to keep those class sizes in the in the right range, we're seeing increases in needs for uh, EL, which is basically looking at your English language learners, your special education group. Um, you're looking at increases to mental health needs, which is where we've seen some counseling increases across our levels and uh, nursing staff um, because of health plans and different compliance measures that are required for that. So we try to take those things into consideration as we build our budget. We have reduced over the years beyond just enrollment. When we think about our librarians that we've cut, um, those weren't directly related to students, but those were budget-driven decisions um, at that time. Uh, we're at languages when we think about what we've had at elementary. So I say these as just historical to just round off the conversation that um, we have tried to keep up with enrollment-based decisions to reduce, but um, other areas of the budget still are impacted. So uh, the goal, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to answer more questions, but as I mentioned, uh, a comprehensive school facilities plan, which analyzes our physical buildings, visioning and multi-year strategic planning for what we want for our educational system in Franklin, and um, a long-range plan to model out a budget based on the information that was shared tonight. Um, and in, in cooperation with our town administrator to, to help us come together and, and look at the, the budgetary needs. And I know um, I would speak for all of our colleagues. It's uh, if when the, the, you mentioned the interrelatedness yeah. and when one shifts, something else happens and it has an impact. And I think that's what I'm hearing. So um, I'll stop there. Yeah, that was, that was really helpful. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, the other thing that just came up, and this one I don't expect uh, for you to have now, but you touched upon it being sort of one of the items, is it would be it, it would be helpful for us to see some of those performance-based metrics, mm -hmm. uh, um, how we're doing over time, but particularly how we're doing over time relative uh, to our peers, right? What comes to mind is yeah, SAT, MCAS, yeah. APs, and the ranking, Boston Magazine, Niche, Right, so we can certainly do that. And I think uh, through the pandemic, the state gave relief on um, reporting scores for students. So we have some years where they weren't necessarily counted or reported on. So I think we have to get some data that will help support that as far as the state tests. We do have AP, and we can still get um, other information that I'm not, I don't have with me at this time. But um, we'll, uh, upon return to school, it's part of our analysis and part of our metrics for monitoring our success moving forward with the plans we've been working on. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Fungio. Uh, there was one other hand back there. Yeah, back, yeah. Come forward, name and address. People on Zoom, I know there's a couple of hands up. We will get to you in a moment. I just want to finish up with people in council chambers, please. Thank you. It's, my name's Patty Dolan. I'm at 35 Townline Road. And first, I want to just thank you for your willingness to engage with and educate the community. It's incredibly helpful, and it's also heartening to me to see how many people are really interested in learning. Mm -hmm. And to that point, I want to ask a question about revenues mm -hmm. and 
maybe it's a very basic question, I apologize, but what is the process for and has it been considered the single tax rate and whether or not to look at increasing the commercial tax rate? And I know that has impacts and knock-ons of development and all of that. I'm not asking to debate pros and cons. I'm just curious as to if it's been considered in, or what the forum would be for that discussion. Uh, through Mr. Chairman, so that's um, it's evaluated every year in December. Um, the tax rate by state law, um, all of our financial cycle is essentially is essentially following state law, right? We don't make any of this up locally, um, so the tax rate has to be set um, essentially right around just after Thanksgiving every year. Um, and there's a series of resolutions and requirements under the law that, um, uh, in this case, the council has to. Uh, and the single tax rate, dual, or it's also called the dual tax rate. Um, those tax rates are debated, discussed um, every year in December. Um, that being said, um, if a town was tr truly going to consider a dual tax rate, and this comes up every year, um, you don't just do you don't just do it that night, right? Like yeah. you don't just like oh yeah, let's let's. let's <laughs> I'm being serious because. Yeah. I'm not, I hope I'm not signing it. It was just like whip it out. You, you usually hire somebody um, to work with the Board of Assessors to see what that impact is. Um, because you're shifting residential burden onto businesses. So you never come out with more revenue. A dual split tax rate doesn't increase revenue. It just shifts the burden from one entity to the other. So essentially what you do is you cut taxes at the residential level, for example, and then you increase taxes on businesses, and it doesn't actually mean that there's more revenue. Why would you cut them at the residential level? Because that's how you, you, you have a tax rate, you know, say the tax rate's $13 per thousand for residents. Right now it's, it's the same rate for both businesses, but you would yeah. do an analysis. The board, of, the board of Assessors are elected, and they do this with our assessing team, um, Kevin Doyle and his staff, I know, they are, thank you for thank you, thank you, thank you. They are the best. Um, but you know, you would do you would say thirteen per thousand for a resident, and you may drop that to twelve dollars per thousand for a resident. But then you would say we're going to increase it to fourteen dollars for a commercial rate. Okay. Otherwise, you're just then doing an override. So if you're increasing taxes, well. I know that that was like I know a lot of people in the audience were waiting for this one slide, so I kept it up there while everybody's been talking. But you would eventually then just say we're 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 we're, we're doing an override. Okay. Yeah. Thank so you. So kind of what I'm saying. You bet. Please, just name and address, please. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Customer service. Uh, Ken Ojuku, uh, 73 South Street. I uh, you know a couple of things I just wanted to touch on. You know. One of the primary, a couple of things we got today, one of them, you know, and first off, thanks for all the information. It's really helpful to, to, to hear it and to actually walk through it um, as a group, so appreciate you allowing the community to be here. Um, you know, it's clear that there's going to, that at least the forecast is projecting a, a deficit that could be relatively severe in a relatively short time. It's clear that we don't have a lot of ways to, uh, to, to drive additional revenue in and help defray some of the impact of that of that deficit, or potential impact of, of said deficits. Um, it's also clear that from all of the departments, the majority 
of the spend does go to personnel. There is some expense cost potentially, uh, expense savings possible, but the majority of this is gonna be personnel. It's also clear that there are other variables that we just cannot plan for, whether it's the hold harmless funds or um, inflation or you know a Great Depression in quiet years. We, we have no idea. Um, so ultimately, the I think it's clear we need to figure out the, the next step seems to be understanding or just kind of developing a plan to figure out how to close at least the gaps that we've identified, if not you know, shoot for more if, if that's what makes the most sense. What I'm looking for now, or I think what would be very helpful, is just clarity on both what that process looks like and, uh, and how we're going to communicate, uh, particularly with the broader community, so that everybody actually, people can actually stay in the loop. It's clear that people care about, yeah. about this. Um, it's unclear how we're going to stay in the loop because this was a great educational, you know, um, you know education and uh, just uh, uh, update on, on where things are. But I just want, but how do we make sure that we that we keep it going? Mm -hmm. I'll be happy to jump at this. My thought process with putting getting this joint budget subcommittee together again and starting this process was to just do that, start the process, try and make, try and have at least an informational meeting to try and give residents as much information as we possibly can. At this juncture, I would look for our town administrator and our superintendent of schools to be working on this five-year forecast as you can see but and get getting more into the more specific pieces and then come back to this committee with that information so that we all get an opportunity to hear what the needs are from the schools to hear what the needs and or wants in both cases needs and or wants of the schools, the needs and or wants of the police department, of the fire department, of the DPW, of the library, across the board. This one, and I said this uh, at a council meeting, where this is not a process that's gonna happen like that. It just doesn't happen like that. We need to gather information, and in fairness, to the schools, they have a change in the business manager uh, recently. So putting this, putting this information together may take a little longer than uh, we initially thought, but we're not doing the community justice unless we do that homework. The school does the the schools do the homework in the school part of the budget. The admin town administration does it on the town part of the budget. We come back to this committee because I truly believe this is the committee that's going to sell it to the council. Because you're hearing from all three committees, meaning the town council, schools, as well as the finance committee. But we will continue to meet on a somewhat regular basis. I'm not going to sit here and tell you we're going to meet every month. 
because that's just not gonna happen because we're not gonna be able to get that informa enough information in 30 day time period. But we will meet again, and I'm thinking at this juncture, in October, we should have enough information to have another meeting of the Joint Budget Subcommittee that I ask everyone who's sitting here, everyone who's out on Zoom, please come to that meeting. Come to these meetings. This is where you're gonna hear the information. This is you, where you're gonna hear, well, if we do this, we may lose this service. Or if we do this, you may lose uh, this expense or these uh, pieces. So my plan is to do that. Uh, I, I do believe in, as I said, in fairness to the schools, there's been a little changeover. We have a little changeover in uh, finance uh, on floor number two here at Town Hall, and they're reorganizing along with the schools. So it may take a little time to get this done, but we will have these meetings that will you will be able to get have input into the decisions that we will look at and ultimately if there's a recommendation to bring to the council it will come from this joint budget subcommittee it won't just come from schools it won't just come from the council it won't just come from the finance committee it will come as one statement from uh, this group of people because we're going to be the ones digging into this and looking out for the next five years. I think somebody spoke to it very early on, uh, speaking about, well, we need to look out. We can't just look at what we And we can't, and as Jamie brought up on the slide, we're looking at a deficit over the next five years. How are we gonna address that deficit? Well, let's first understand what that deficit is and what we would have to give up if we continue just like we are. So thank you, Chairman. Uh, just, so just to follow up, uh, you know, one, one of the things you said is uh, as an administrator, uh, Administrator uh, Allen and, uh, uh, and, the, and the school will need to get together. It sounded to me like this is actually broader than the school, or are you saying that he, you know, so it's all of the various services would you probably need to be in that conversation absolutely and uh, you know I've said this a hundred times we built this building put the schools uh, put the school administrative offices and the town administrative offices in the same building yeah. and put the town administrator and the superintendent of schools back to back for a reason and that's communication and I look for those two people to work together along with their administrative teams and their the town council as well as the school committee, working together over the next few months, putting together this forecast that we can sit here and dive into. Uh, and as I said, what are the wants? We need to know what the wants are as well as just the needs. So, and then we need to make those decisions. And that's, what's, that's how I look at the next few months. Okay, thank you. Got that. 
Jamie, anything you want to add to that? Really quickly, I just I'd make a quick plug again. Another step in this process, and I have the slide up, but um, is 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 the meeting on August 16th. Um, I committed to that in May. Um, that's going to be a little different twist of information. That's going to be on the ethical rules, the Office of Campaign and Finance rules, that paid staff, elected officials, the town attorney will be here as he is every meeting. But that again, for a lot of people, I think it's just another valuable information piece that I think everyone really, really needs to understand. I know I sent all of you an email a few weeks ago about another uh, ethical incident in another community. Um, and why are those important? Not only they, they're just bad, but also they tend to erode. Um, you know, people don't follow the laws, and we don't do them right. That tends to erode public confidence. You know, and so it is an important meeting for people to show up to know what paid staff can do, what elected officials can and cannot do. We're actually very restricted um, in a lot of ways. This is not a traditional um, policy debate. And then I think I would only throw in. Obviously, we leave it to the superintendent and the school business administrator. But you know, then you know, school gets back in session. None, none of you are going to be available uh, for a month or two and settle in. And I think back in the fall, like October, hopefully have another one of these meetings. But then I think in earnest, it's going to take some months, probably after the election in November. Then there's a month or two of reorganization among the council and the school committee. Then there's committee assignments, right? And really, I think generally, I would say in my head, you're looking at January for like what's what's I don't want to say, you know, what what's the five-year forecast of the needs and wants? Um, you know, the council and school committee are both going to have to kind of have their own procedures too in terms of how they gather input from principals about what the needs are or department heads and what the needs are. I mean, it will take a little time. And as I've mentioned in some other meetings. I, I just have to say it again, and I need the council support, and I think the superintendent needs the school committee support. Um, we're going to have to sacrifice some other stuff. This is a lot of work. It's a lot of time. I cannot underestimate this. Like it is a lot of time and work. We're here. We'll do it. But we can't chase every rabbit down every rabbit hole of every complaint every citizen makes. We cannot do everything for everybody. And I know for a fact that the superintendent and I need the support in our administrative teams from the elected officials. We need your support to say to people, we're sorry, we can't do that right now. We can't evaluate it. To your point, there's clearly a need. There's clearly people engaged. We see the deficits. This takes real evaluation and planning for, for my treasurer collector and finance director. We have a new school business administrator. We just got here a month ago. He's, he's, still logging in the munis, right? There's just a lot of time and effort that goes into this. We can do it, but it's going to take a little time, and it's going to take some resistance to say to other people, we just can't do your project. We just can't do your thing. We just, we just don't have the time. Lucas and I probably work 60, 70, some to 65 hour weeks. I mean, at some point, it just gets, it, it's just too much. And if we're going to really try to dig into this, Clearly, the people out here are sacrificing their time because they're still here at 9.30 listening to all this. You have to, we need some space. I mean, I have to work with Brutus. He's got to go do a lot of cost evaluations, talk to contractors, figure out what, what the inflation rates might be. I mean, to cost this out and project it just takes a lot. So I'm looking at a January-ish timeline of saying maybe 
hopefully a goal would be maybe by then when the new council, new suit, you know, all the new seats are filled, we can we can try to continue that along. But in the meantime, I think there's still a couple of other of meetings to be had with other critical information to keep the education going. So hope that kind of answers keep things. Keep the momentum going. Keep the momentum going. Yeah, no, that's, within the community. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredibly helpful. I just, yeah. I just want to make sure that we're yeah. do, you know, doing that. Because you know, one of the things we've heard is that you know, Superintendent Gair talked about uh, the study that's ongoing. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we've seen the there's a There's a time limit or time constraint that we're working with. And I think, so to your point, yeah, that's why we, there's some decisions that need to be made sooner rather than later. It's just a question of making sure that we are upfront about it, and we and people people are aware, so we can actually make informed decisions. Which I don't know that has been as successful historically. And I would say to your point, I think you make a great one about making decisive decisions. You know, at some point, if we're going to model this out and look at it, like at some point, the line just has to be made. This is in. This is out. Right? I mean, it, we, at some point, we can't just keep thinking everything can happen. We have to make some decisive decisions. That, and I agree with that. Thank you. Absolutely. Can I just make one comment? Sorry. You have absolutely. Yeah. Nicole. <laughs> um, just a comment on where we keep informing people. Um, I just a little plug, I know on the finance committee we've done a really great job doing a lot of the deep dives into each department. Um, and I know for myself, we I could tell you probably what a lot of the wants and needs are from those deep dives. Um, so I encourage people, don't just wait for this joint meeting, for all of us meet respectively in our own groups and we talk about, not to diminish tonight, we talk about the same things and so I think the more people hear it, the more it will be out in the community. And I can't read how many people have been on Zoom. And I, I like to say it's my angle, but I think it's my eyesight. But Franklin is a huge town. So relatively speaking, and I love seeing everybody here and everybody on Zoom, it's a small piece of the pie, right? And so I say, next meeting, bring a friend, right? Everyone bring a friend. I know when I go out to dinner with my kids' mom's friends, I'm talking about this stuff, and I get really animated about it, as some of you know. So I, I, I would encourage you, this is such a great first step. I encourage you, bring a friend, bring two, talk about it constantly, to not lose that momentum, because that's when we get back to school. I know myself, I'm already dreading September, because I'm gonna you know, put my to-do list aside. So just keeping up that momentum is gonna be critical. Um, and I think one of the key points is, around there isn't one solution. Um, you know, we heard Heather say an override might not be the best scenario for everybody because they can't afford it. They've lost their job, but then maybe new growth is not what people want either. So as Jamie points, we need to make decisions and unfortunately you can't please everybody. Um, and that's going to be tough, but I would say, say yeah, bring a friend, keep talking about it because I know we joke a lot in our finance meetings is anyone out there listening to us, right? Like, we just don't know. Like, here it's great seeing people in person, but if not everybody can come in person, which is fine. Um, but we don't know who's watching on the TV and things like that. So um, it is nice to see the people. So I hope that there's, of course, more than that's out there um, watching on the TV or listening. But um, but yeah, I would just say that, just to keep keep it going, spread the word, talk about it while you're having, you know, drinks at Glen Farmer, right? Thank you, Michael, eating out in Franklin. Uh, Donna Grady, you've had your hand up for a long time. Amy, could you? Sure. 
Thank you. Um, I'd like to thank the three committees as well for holding this joint meeting. Um, Chair, Chairman, as you have noted, it is really, really important that we do this together as a community. Um, through the chair, I'd just like to address um, Councilman uh, Frangelico, I think it was Kobe's comment. Um, as a teacher, I just have to say it's not all about the scores. So I just have to put that out there. Um, I just, I, I want to kind of dovetail on what the superintendent said because I think it's really, really important. Um, this is an informational session. Um, and so just a couple of things. Um, Pre-pandemic, mental health challenges for children were already up about 16%. People ask, well, how many people does it take to take care of these kids? Um, there, since the pandemic, there's, a, there's been a 33% increase in divorce. Um, two out of every five jobs lost since the pandemic may in fact not come back, which is still about a 42% um, folks are still unemployed. We still have um, a huge disruption for children um, in routines, social isolation, which leads to the majority of diagnoses are anxiety and depression. There is a 40% diagnoses in high school students for suicidal behaviors since the pandemic. We have a 20% increase in mental health um, emotional, developmental, or behavioral disorders in elementary and middle school children since the pandemic. That is all emotional dysregulation. Now, we know this, we see this, we know students have had learning loss. What we also need to understand is that adults also have this emotional, emotional dysregulation. The very definition of the pandemic was uncertainty, fear, and there's no end in sight. COVID has not gone away, it's with us. It's gonna be with us for a long time, like the flu, like the common cold. But we do still have a decrease in children's routine health care, their ability to access dental care and vaccinations. We have um, children who have seen, unfortunately, death, who have housing insecurity and food insecurity. So when people are looking at only decreased enrollment we are in the business of humans little humans to bigger humans and the needs that we are seeing we may be down a hundred students right now and i know that's not the correct number but the needs that we're seeing just for typically developing students and families could be the needs of 200 students and yet we can sit them in the same size room or the same size building, but unless they're gonna be sitting at desks and not moving around, it's not gonna be productive. If we don't acknowledge that a problem still exists overall, we have best practices in schools and in businesses, but those practices were made for a pre-pandemic world that does not exist. We have buildings that need maintenance and as we have children that need support, we have families that need support, and, and I'm just gonna really back up what Lucas said. Fighting, and that's not even the right word, but really pushing for what our children need, and it is a need, it is not a want. No way, in no way, takes away from 
what our colleagues in the fire department and the police department or any other department needs. But these are our children and these are our, this is our future. And they deserve every support that we can give them. Again, it's not to take away from anybody else, but they deserve 150% of what we can give them. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Yes. Is there anyone else in, oh, please come forward, name and address, please. Hi there, I'm Selena Cousin, 114 Beach Street. I just wanna, I hope I'm not the only one feeling this, but I might be, and I'm gonna say it. I'm sort of feeling like we don't feel a sense of urgency here. I feel like this is something that we need to do is expediently, quickly, carefully, yes, getting everybody involved, yes, educating everyone, yes. But you know, I've been attending school committee meetings since 2002, way back with you know Mr. Christofuli, and then we went on to, you know, we were five superintendents later, and, and four superintendents ago, we were saying, you know, he left because he couldn't, in good faith, run the schools with the kind of cuts he was being have to make. And that was before Lucas, before Sarah, before Maureen, right? Um, and so, as a parent, I'm speaking as a parent, I'm also an educator, but as a parent, you know, I'm seeing my kid have study hall with 125 kids. I'm seeing my child have no science teacher until like the end of October because they can't hire one. I'm seeing my kid have no English teacher for a few months because we let them go and now we can't rehire enough people. We're only, Franklin is only as good as our weakest link. And I'm gonna say it, our weak link right now is the schools and that's not a reflection at all. We have fantastic teachers, we have fantastic school committee and I think we might have the best superintendent we've had yet since in my 20 years. But we are doing a real disservice to a lot of our kids and our teachers right now. The turnover is ridiculous. In five years at Horace Mann, there have been five assistant principals. It's, it's just the teacher turnover and what's going on with the kids and having these classes for a whole year with no teacher and huge amounts of kids in study halls, which I'm sure you can imagine leads to behavior problems. I just, my concern is that I'm feeling that if our next meeting is until like October and we're gonna kind of make sure we don't get past the election, then we gotta retrain everybody because none of us will be here or some of us will be here, but some of us won't. I just want to feel like there's more urgency going on here because I think our kids deserve it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So um, the last couple comments um, of the last two speakers, I would, I would hope that most listeners agree with the sentiments those folks said. I think we all know that what they're speaking to are needs and problems within the district. I agree on the urgency. I'm just going to emphasize it one more time. Somebody someday has to quantify a dollar amount to these issues. So we have problems with retention or a science teacher or the mental health needs or all these issues. I think the chore here is we need, we need the school department to work with my office and our finance team to quantify it. I think if we don't quantify how to solve these problems with actual dollars, policy decisions, you know, whatever it is, 
I think we're going to be back here next year and, and probably have the same same problems coming up to the mic and, and Donna, who spoke so eloquently as she always does, is going to come up and say the same thing. So I, I agree with the urgency. I think everybody does. But I think where we're at is we have to create the space and time. Um, I wish there was a fly on the wall every once in a while in our office, Lucas, um, because I see him every day. He sees me. We run in, run out, see each other. We're cordial. We meet well together. We work well together. We have no time. It's just as simple as that. I'm sorry. And I'm, and I'm expressing a little frustration because it's just too much. And if we're going to get to these issues, and we're going to hear these people's concerns, and we're going to respond to all these parents, somewhere, somehow, someone's just got to like say, people just have to squeeze out a lot of extra work. This is, to quantify this, is a lot of work. And I'm not complaining. I don't want any empathy. I'm not looking for pity. <laughs> Everyone knows I'm a hard worker. I just got to say it because we've got to turn this. This is the corner that's got to be turned. If we're going to get there. Otherwise, we are going to be dogs chasing our tails. And we're going to sit here and go, not just 13 years with no conversation. It'll be 14 years. It'll be 15 years. It'll be we have to carve out the space and the priorities to be able to, to look at this. Thank you for that, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, James. And again, I don't believe that there's anyone sitting on this rostrum tonight that doesn't feel the sense of urgency that's needed. The issue is getting the information. And I think one of the things we need to walk away from, or this, the people on this rostrum, need to walk away from this meeting with is council members need to support to the rest of the council the need to allow Jamie and the administrative team the time to put the work into what we need to get done and the same thing needs to happen with the school committee and the superintendent of the schools. They have to give the superintendent of schools and the business manager the opportunity to do the work necessary as quickly as possible. But again, we need to do it right. Because in fairness to the entire community, we, as I stated in my opening statement, we need to put the right question out there if that's where we're going. And that takes a lot of work. He's alluded to, but we can get it done. Uh, okay. Sure, Lucas, yeah. please. Thank you. I don't know why you were sitting up back. You need to be up front. I know. I was <laughs> trying to be a creature of habits. Yeah, creature of habits. If I, I could sit in the I back once, it'd be nice too. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in. I've been in that scene. I know. We've we watched. If you watch some archive footage, you'll know that I've been in that scene uh, already for uh, a decade. Uh, I will say uh, we are hitting the ground running. I just want to be responsive to some of the, um, the families here. To Jamie's point, bandwidth is our reality, so we don't want to make false promises on what we do, but there's a sense of urgency. I just wanted to speak and let you know, we've talked about this, there's a sense of urgency on our part to work through the three things that I opened with when I spoke earlier around a comprehensive school facilities analysis. A multi-year strategic plan. We just finished day two of our administrative retreat with all principals. 
Um, and we have begun the work of our strategic planning on the educational side of things. What are we hoping to accomplish? And the focus, the, I'm sorry, the theme this year has been focus. How do we get focused and real and articulate around what we actually can accomplish with the time and resources we currently have to move student um, performance and student growth forward? The third is long range budget modeling. This is an example, it ties in, we're all interrelated. And the last thing I wanted to do, if it's okay with you, Chair Mercer, was just introduce our school business administrator who's here tonight. Um, our interim school business administrator, come on up. This is Dr. Bob Hutch. in a meeting like this when we talk about budget and finance I was fortunate to work with Mrs. Goodman um, for many years but as a superintendent for one year together and um, one thing that was important to me was continuing to have someone in the role who had the experience and the knowledge around school finance to be able to support our system so um, as an interim Dr. Dutch is joining us um, he goes by Bob but um, just trying to be uh, respectful to his role um, he is a retired superintendent um, serving as a mentor for me in many ways in that uh, capacity, but he's also worked as a school business administrator, and he's already in 30 days hit the ground running with his own take and analysis on things and brings um, a perspective and an experience to the position that I think will help us gather the information we need to do, which will take some time, but he's ready to hit the ground running. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity, Bob, to say hello to everyone. Thanks, Lucas. Um, hello. Uh, <laughs> welcome. Uh, I do want you to know that Jamie told me, I, I'm not Jamie, uh, Lucas told me I was coming to Shangri-La. He didn't tell me I was going to have to do all this work. But I'm ready to, to help him out with this. And uh, we understand the urgency, and we'll do what we can to get there realistically. Okay, thank you. Thank you. You certainly welcome aboard. Okay, is there any other questions in council chambers? Any other questions on Zoom? Committee? Sure, if you'd like. If you want one other action item, we were missed say that part of all of this is electing leaders to yes. share your values and vision. Okay, uh, in closing, uh, I'd just like to say what I'm sure all of you are thinking out there, and everybody here is thinking, and that is, I know we've talked about a lot about the municipal part of government and the school's part of government, but we have to remember we are one community, we are one Franklin, and we need to continue to look forward with that in mind. We are one community, and if we stay one community, we will succeed, I'm sure. So with that, I'll entertain a motion to adjourn. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio.
This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.